We're almost two years in this podcast and slowly dragging ourselves to the end of this hell that has been 2020. We've talked about so many things in our time together. Stupid ladder arms, how ninjors have sex, and the logistics how verbs can even drive. But challenging times still lie ahead of us, and I'm not certain how we can move forward. Is it possible that we can even look to the future for a path forward? Or rather, the future as it was in 2001? Oh, Eric, just admit you want to fuck Wes already. Jules, I'm trying to monologue here. Eric Sweet Rollerblade Battleizer Jules. And I'm Time Force's standard issue wraparound sunglasses, Ashley. And this is Ranger Spain, a podcast where the Power Rangers expert Jules, that's me, takes Power Rangers neophyte Ashley through the entirety of the franchise. And this month we are covering Time Force. Time Force? Time Force. Time Force. Alright, so what's, what's Time Force about? Well, in the far-flung future of the year 3000, Society is protected from mutants by Time Force. However, after the villainous Rancic escapes into the past after supposedly killing their leader Alex, four members of Time Force go to the year 2001 to track him down and bring him to justice. With the help of Alex's genetic ancestor, Wes Collins, the Rangers track down all of Rancic's mutants and grow to love a time they didn't come from. So yeah, this series was really interesting in terms of uh, just how much it actually managed to work. Like, uh, this particular season we noted doesn't feel like just a Power Rangers season and actually kind of feels like a like kind of a B-grade sci-fi television show, like something that you would watch on a, a sci-fi original you'd watch way back in the day. Yeah, it definitely, it's definitely not like prestige sci-fi original, uh, but definitely like, a fun, I would say, oh god, what was it like? There was one time travel, oddly enough, time travel, but like it was, I think it was like seven days later or something, where it involved time travel, but it, you could only go seven days in the past, and it, it was kind of that quality, right? You know, not not great, but not like terrible. Something watchable. I would say, like, yeah, around like first two uh, seasons of the new Doctor Who level there. Like, you know, they didn't really have that much of a budget, but it had compelling enough stories that it managed to work in spite of that. Like, it felt like that. Yeah, because it's like, and I, it, it was when you brought that up, I finally was able to kind of, I guess, piece together why this is a big fan favorite right. and, among adults. And it really is because it's like, it actually feels like you're watching not the best television show, but a quality enough TV show that you're going to, like, tune in every week to check yeah. out what's new. Yeah, exactly. Like, there was, like, if we were watching this weekly, I would just, I would be on the edge of my seat. Yeah. And I think because of that, like, really tight writing for this series, uh, the romance itself that they, they've kind of abandoned romance for a while, I've noticed, mm -hmm. in Power Rangers. And I think for the better, for the most part. Right. Because it's like, like, Ashley and Andros, you know, it was kind of like, 
it was there, but wasn't really developed on because there was so much going on in that series. Whereas, like, this one, they're like, oh, wow, we can actually, like, write a romance in and actually, like, weave it to be a part of the story. Yeah, and it's like, like, it wasn't the central part of the story, but it was such a plot mover that I was, like, actually invested versus, like, some of the past seasons where it was just, like, you know, they might vaguely allude that some, like, somebody has a crush on another ranger, but then, like, never really follow up on it until they remembered that they did that yeah um yeah and it's just like it was also like also made me frustrated the way that power rangers is just sometimes half-asses it when it comes to their romance that even for a really good romance you still don't get that like you don't get that satisfying resolution of a kiss or something like that oh yeah it's so and you're you're gonna see this out throughout power rangers Mm -hmm. is Kissing was something they did with, like, Tommy and Kimberly, and then right after it, they just, I guess, like, parents got angry about it or something? Because it's just, like, all of a sudden, like, after that, no kissing in Power Rangers. Thanks, boomers. Yeah, like, I think you'll see, like, kisses on the cheek or something every now and then, but, like, no, like, full lip kissing. It's like, oh, that's... That could give kids ideas. So I remember we were just kind of like watching the ending and we're like, why aren't they kissing? This is really weird. Like this is like this is a time to kiss is that they're like they're standing on the beach telling each other that they love each other and like are super sad that they can't be together because of time shenanigans. And there's no kissing. This is the perfect time to kiss. Especially like since in this like Right when, like, the, like, romance kind of swelled between uh, Wes and Jin, they actually, like, would have moments where they were about to kiss and then somebody interrupted them. Right. And it's just like, oh, thanks. Uh, but, but, yeah. Um, like, like I said, like, you know, it takes a lot for both of us these days to be really invested in uh a romance between a cis man and a cis woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like heterosexual, even though I, I wouldn't label Wes as heterosexual, we'll get that li- to it later, mm-hmm. but it's, like, definitely, like, the heterosexual romance, and it takes a lot of, to just make us be interested in that, and this actually, like, you know, I already watched this several times, so I was a little bit more invested, but you are just, like, oh my god, why aren't you kissing? Holy shit. Yeah. It's like, kiss, 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 kiss. Yeah. All right. (laughs) But uh, one of the things that also really plays into how this is, is this was made about, this was made in like 2000 to 2001 in its production. And because of that, it's like got a lot of influences that deal with that early part of that decade. Like, oh, yeah. Like, let, let's focus on the positive one about that, which is the Matrix influences. Oh, yeah. So there's, like, especially early on in the season, there's a lot of, like, action tropes that really come from, like, that were especially prevalent on the kind of the early 2000s, where every action-based, like, TV show and movie wanted to be the Matrix. So, yeah. like, 
the way that Time Force dresses, the way that, like, well, Time Force before, when they're not in Power Ranger form, nor, or their regular civilian clothes, like, when, when, you know, when they first show up, they're basically riffing on the Matrix with their dress and their music, like, there's, uh, a couple of times the Zords are, like, fighting in bullet time. Yeah. And just sort of, like, this the general vibe of some of the action scenes are just straight up taken from the Matrix. And it's kind of hilarious um, just kind of remembering how much, like, the Matrix-influenced action films for, like, the next five, like, basically five to ten years after uh, the first Matrix movie came out. Yeah. And, um, and it even, like, 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 the Zord footage and everything came from the Sentai adaptation, so it's, like, and you watch, like, like, I've watched about a good chunk of time, like, not of Court of Time Ranger at this point, Mm -hmm. I need to get back and rewatch it, uh, but it's, it's very interesting that Time Ranger even has that, it's, like, it definitely, like, influenced a lot around the world. Right. Um, I guess on the not-so-nice things, I shouldn't say I guess, this is not-so-nice, is... The season and how it continued, because it was airing in 2001, and towards the end of 2000, of its airing, was September, and, uh, we, uh, both of us are of age that we remember, like, September 11th, mm-hmm. and it affected, kind of, well, one, in, in, and when the, when the series went from, like, went to reruns, they readjusted one of the scenes from earlier in the season where, like, Rancic's actually attacking the city or something mm-hmm. when he's making his big demands, and they change it to, like, he's attacking, like, a dam or something out in the wilderness, something to make kids not think he's attacking the city. Right. Uh, but the other was kind of, like, the ending just feels really happy, and there's, like, there's stuff that is confirmed about the ending. Like, Eric is actually supposed to die like his counterpart. Like, right. he's not, you know, that's why, you know, they changed a little bit with the ending with um, Wes becoming the leader of the Civil Guardians because that's kind of how it was supposed to be because Eric was, they even, I think they even shot, rumor has it, they shot the scenes without Eric there. Okay. So it's just kind of like, yeah, they had it very, and they're like, well, that's, that's really bummerish. And then I think, like, Rancic himself, this is rumor, I think, is Rancic himself, like, was supposed to have a completely different ending, and then they kind of changed it to a more uplifting ending of, oh, no, he's good now, type situation. Right. And which just felt so out of nowhere, is this that he has, like, a sudden change of heart in the last, like, ten minutes of the final episode. Yeah. So... It, it's definitely, it's got its, like, weirdness. And then, like, for some reason, they're ending, like, I didn't see it confirmed this, but I do, like, there's apparently an ending where, like, uh, uh, what was it? Like, Wes and Jen were supposed to stay in the same time period, and they're like, well, that's too happy. <laughs> yeah, we can't have that. But, um, that definitely led to, like, what I think somewhere uh someone probably has the tv rep of the original airing of time force uh where it does have that original cut of rancic like destroying a city or something as opposed to destroying a dam right but yeah that's what we saw because you know it was right after 9-11 and things were 
I don't know how to describe that period other than it was this, like, swell of just weird fascism disguising itself as pure nationalism. Trying to describe living through the early 2000s, like, from, like, 2001 to 2000, I would say probably around the time Obama was elected. Trying to explain that time period, to, like, to living at, during it as a child, to somebody that, you know, was is younger than me or doesn't really remember what that time was like, is really weird. <laughs> um, yeah. Just and the like, way so many things changed, like, because Power Rangers was not the only thing that had to edit mm-hmm. in the wake of 9-11. Like, Lilo and Stitch had to redo an entire scene, like, it was an entire reanimated scene in Lilo and Stitch. The ending scene of the first Spider-Man movie um, was completely changed. Um, And, you know, you had an entire list uh, from Clear Channel songs that were going to be banned just because they mentioned things that were violent. Um, Yeah. And I was in high school, like, uh, you know, during this time period. I was kind of becoming an adult, and it's still really weird to think about and talk about. Yeah. And, you know, especially going back, you know, now watching this and, you know, realizing the time period, it's kind of just, it is weird. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of like talking about a collective trauma that we don't really acknowledge anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Except, you know, when we want to feel patriotic or some shit. Right. And it's just like, but yeah, I guess kind of. Moving on from that, from the 2001-ness of it all, um, you want to talk a little bit about the Sentai adaptation? Like, how it is more of a Sentai adaptation? Uh, yeah, um, so, uh, the executive producer, and I think that more or less flavors, like, the showrunner of the series in Power Rangers, from what I understand. Mm -hmm. I could be completely wrong. Basically, from my understanding, this is kind of, like, oftentimes when it comes to Power Rangers, a lot of like a lot of like blame not just blame but also like uh praise of why this season is doing well or not doing well falls upon the executive producer of course or not the executive producer but the main producer of the show as it is Uh, with any show yes yeah so uh i think i'm saying his name right it's like tazkor or tycor i think is how you're supposed to pronounce his name right um and he is a uh he he's done a lot of Power Rangers uh through the year. Uh definitely one of the main Saban people because they bought him back for the newer Saban seasons. Mm-hmm. But when he started really doing the producing, like in Lightspeed, uh he really enjoyed kind of blending the Sentai with the Power Ranger setting. Right. So um much like Lightspeed Rescue had a lot of flavor of Go Go Five, right? This had so much flavor of Time Ranger, even taking like episodes and character stuff from like, uh, completely from Time Ranger. Like the reason why Trip's a telepathic alien is because of, uh, uh Shion from uh, Time Ranger. Okay. Who, uh. And they, they're also very similar in personality, but yeah, they both have, like, green hair, and they're aliens that are telepathic. Okay. Uh, Shion has the whole background, and he's, like, the last living member of his race. Um, but... 
you know, there's stuff like that, like, like Lucas and like his race car boyfriend that was around for a while. That's from Time Ranger. A lot of like what drove Wes mm-hmm. and his father's points were from Time Ranger. Uh, even kind of the romance, even though I think the romance in Time Force is actually like way better written. Okay. Uh, but yeah, there's like little things that they would just take, like uh, that were obviously taken from Time Ranger and either like spin to be American or approved upon. Essentially, right. makes sense. Um, I I don't think that makes it bad, actually. Right. Uh, it's very weird. Um, how people will like define a season of if it's too close to the Sentai, it's bad. And like that doesn't necessarily true. Like. I think, for instance, Samurai is kind of really weird because it just whole cloth adapts Shinkanger and Shinkanger is based on something that's very specific to Japanese culture. Right. So that's weird and bad, but like Time Time Ranger and Time Force are both about like time cops displaced in the present. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it being, it can, you know, it's not going to be like, so ingrained in something that it will be lost in translation and like i said some things were kind of improved upon and bettered um with kind of taking that adaptation through right well um since we are talking about it as an adaptation and such let's go on and start talking about our characters so we're gonna start with our official leader of the time force rangers with uh jen scotts the pink ranger yeah this is actually um Jen is slated, uh, basically stated a lot to be the first woman leader of Power Rangers, even though she was never a Red Ranger. Mm-hmm. And also, like, later in the series, like, I wish they redid that one episode, like, that episode arc with the whole, like, oh, we're better when Wes leads us and not you, Alex. I'm like, Wes is kind of more of a sergeant. Jen's your actual commanding officer. Yeah, and, like, she could overrule Alex at any point, but, like, I guess, she, you know, she's got that conflicted feelings because Alex is slash was her fiancé. Mm. Um, <laughs> I think Alex does outrank her, though, officially in time. Force. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem. Um, so, yeah, but he never defers to her at any point. He just sort of fucking steamrolls her, which is just like, okay, we'll get to Alex when we get to Alex, but it's just like, you could do so much better <laughs> it's like a thousand like well a thousand years i say in quotation because it's technically 999 years okay okay get you know take your epi and get out of my house <laughs> <laughs> but no like 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 millennia later in in the future men are still cis men are still the same pretty much Oh, sure, we have genetic engineering that you can make whatever kind of baby you want. We somehow can't deprogram, like, uh, misogyny and chauvinism out of them. Okay. Somehow still part of culture. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like, Jen's kind of the first leader, and she does act like a commanding officer of sorts. Like, she's the one who really kind of bookkeeps the mission, almost, like, does the paperwork, essentially, all this stuff. Yeah, and she's even kind of the point person for their odd jobs, like, um, business. Is that, like, she's the one who, like, you know, takes the calls and, like, assigns work to the, to everybody else. Um, not to say that she doesn't take part of the jobs herself, but, like, she's, like, also seen kind of being that person. Yeah, she's, she's basically like, okay, this, this, and this. Yeah. 
Um, whereas, like, Wes is almost, like, the charismatic person in the group that kind of drives people forward. Right. And th- that's kind of the the leader dynamic going into this. And also, a lot of people kind of argue whether or not Jen's kind of a mentor figure because of this. Yeah, because um, there's not really a proper mentor figure this season. Um, just because, like, you know... the time force itself you know they're so displaced from their own future that they don't really have like a sergeant like or like bill from last season or you know commander stanton you know they don't really have kind of that older figurehead and so she kind of ends up falling into that role andros did Mm. in in space where she's like half ranger half mentor but i feel like she's very she's better at it than andros is yeah, and I think it also helps that the Rangers, with the exception of Wes, are they have some sort of like this is what they've been they are they already are trained in being time force officers. Yeah. So them like getting Ranger powers is just kind of an additional like boost. Yeah, they right. are they have a shared history. They have shared training. They are familiar with each other. Like we already have that established in the first episode is that they like these four are familiar with each other. They are coworkers. They are friends in some cases. Um, well, I, it's hard to say if Lucas and Trip are friends at that point, but you know, they are familiar with each other. Yeah. Um, so, uh, one of the things that was very interesting about this season mm-hmm. is how a uh, couple of characters got, like, actual arcs. Mm-hmm. So, Jen, when she starts out, like, she's, she's, like, when you first see her, she seems very by the book and very into being a Time Force officer. Yeah. Uh, very actually distraught when Rancic escapes their custody. Mm-hmm. And then she just shuts off uh, just due to trauma because her... F- Basically, uh, my favorite thing about this is it starts out like you actually see like Alex asking her to m- to marry him, right? And then she watches him die in the same episode. It's it's great. Yeah, she is. Uh, yeah, very early on we establish Jen has trauma. Um, so it's kind of understandable that when she like first goes back to the past, it is kind of cold and standoffish because she's just very much wants to. You know, she wants to follow the mission. She wants to capture the mutants. She wants to ca- bring Rancic to justice. She wants to get back home. Um, and I would like to point out, like, and even though, like, you see bits of that, like, she's still trying to heal, even though, like, because it just, like, when they go in the year 2001, it's, like, right after, like, she witnesses Rancic killing Alex. Right. Quote, unquote. And so all of a sudden she's trying to find in the future and she's... Because Power Rangers works like this. She stumbles upon Alex's ancestor who looks just like him and just kind of freaks out. Right. Like, subtly. Like, she's not, you know, blowing her cover or anything, but she kind of just has this shocked look. And as Wes put it, it's like, you look like you've seen a ghost. Yeah. So, you know. Pretty much. (laughs) And it even shows, like, she kind of has a slight soft spot for Wes, but also gets very aggravated with him really quickly. And beginning on, because it's like, she's starting to realize, like, oh, this is not Alex. Yeah. He looks like Alex, and he even sounds like Alex, but he is not, he is not Alex. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it does cause, like, very clear frustration and trauma for her. 
Like, and it's not necessarily Wes's fault. Like, you know, he just randomly comes across these four people, like, when he's, like, out riding his motorcycle. Like, it's not his fault that, like, he looks like Jen's dead fiancé. Yeah. Um, So, like, yeah, yeah, go on. No, I mean, that's just basically my point, is that, like, you know, Alex, not Alex, um, Wes is not going to realize that, you know, this is such a, a point of contention for Jen, but she's got some shit she needs to work through. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's just not necessarily his fault. Um, But yeah, especially like, but as the season goes on and the more that her and Wes grow closer and the more she kind of spends time in 2001 and kind of adapting to life there as she is, you know, as a Power Ranger and as a person, like she warms up and like kind of begins to move on from this point of grief that she has uh which which kind of makes because she warms up and everything and it uh it definitely shows in like the episode where you find out alex has been i'm not sure if it's clear it's almost implied that because of the timeline changes alex ended up surviving but it's also like just as ambiguous as he could have lied about dying right and, I mean, because like, the last shot you see of Alex is that he's, like, being attended to by the, um, by the medical division of Time Force. hmm So, but, you know, it's just implied that he's dead. They don't necessarily, like, you know, there's nobody on the medical team just being like, oh, he's dead. He didn't make it. Yeah, so, uh, they... At the same time, like, there's been, throughout the season, there has been this kind of weird shadowy figure that's been giving them upgrades and swords, and at the beginning of that episode, you see, like, I forget who, but they they find a Polaroid camera, and so the entire team just starts goofing off of it, and that includes, like, Jen's just trying to do some paperwork, and they jump and kind of bother her, and, like, Wes kisses her on the cheek. And so they, she ends up kind of getting into it and they just take goofy pictures and stuff. And then during that episode sequence, you actually find out the person that's been supplying all the stuff has been Alex. Mm-hmm. And it's like either stuff happened where either stuff happened where things changed where you lived or like you had, you know, because they didn't check in on you, like they just assumed you were fucking dead. Right. You had you did not go and like check in and be like, hey, Jen, I'm alive. You're like, no, it would have affected the mission. And Jen just kind of not only does that trauma reopen for her, but it actually causes her to like go, What did I see in this guy? Yeah, she actually has to kind of think over whether she wants to stay with Alex now that he's alive. One of my favorite scenes in the series is actually her watching a wedding and just this monologue of her being like, man, I thought this was going to be Alex and me. And like, we've both changed so much. And as someone who was like, in a like you, you knew, like, before all this, like, I was in a very committed relationship. I was engaged, too. And mm-hmm. it's just like, you you there's when you go through that moment it's it's kind of like that and it was it was so well written i thought yeah it was yeah it was a very well done scene and kind of just adds to like how well done the relationship like the main driving relationship was done this season and like 
a lot of Jen's plot drivers, besides just kind of being the leader of Time Force, which, you know, it, it's all kind of an intricate web, um, is that, yeah, romance is a big plot driver for her, but, like, it's still, you still have her being her own character. You know, she's never shown a super dependent on Alex. She's never, and she doesn't become super dependent on Wes or any of the other members of the team. You know, she's still her own person, and she still kind of makes her own decisions in terms of what she wants, how she wants to rewrite her future. Um, yeah. You like, know. She come, like, she comes on kind of, like, that decision uh, at the very end. Like, she hands Alex back the ring and says, I'm sorry, I'm going back for Wes. Yeah. Like, that's where she makes that, and it, it kind of, like, actually goes to that point where I I remember we were talking about this. It's like, it wasn't like when right after base Kimberly, uh, when Amy Jo Johnson said she was leaving the show, basically, mm-hmm. um, they started making cat a character and like cat kind of was a very good start of a character. And then when Kimberly left, they're like, well, we need someone to romance Tommy. So they just made cat just be a, sing for tommy yeah and and yeah this is the first time i can say that like i mean because either the balance of the romance on power rangers is that it's barely there um and they just sort of like shoehorn it in towards the end of the season um after you know sometimes they'll lead up to like it a little bit with like you know a character having a crush on another character like with ashley and andros um, or they will just make it that that's that romance is just all that it is for that particular character. So it was nice seeing a case where like there is a big driving romance throughout the core of the series, but it doesn't overtake the plot and it doesn't overtake the character's mind. Yeah, and it, it kind of goes into like part of the series too, where you know time, you know, like. The big no fate, but what you make for yourself thing that we kept bringing up, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll probably bring up more when we talk about Wes. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, the themes of love and acceptance as well as people change over time. Like, yeah. that's a big one because, um, you know, Jan, you know, her arc, she changes over time. Wes changes over the time of his arc. Eric changes over the time of his arc. Um, you know, you even have that weird thing with Rancic at the end. So yeah. it's just kind of like, it shows that, you know, your life experience can change who you are. Right. And that's kind of Jen's big thing is literally having kind of a good life. Like, she had a steady job. Uh, she was going to, you know, they, they pretty much did their big mission. So they were going to go settle down, get married, uh, maybe have a couple of genetic babies. I don't know. Um, and... All of a sudden, that was ripped away from her, and she had to go through kind of another change, and it changed her perspective of her life. Yeah, and then, like, you get, like, through the course of the series, you see a very different Jen than you see in, like, the beginning. Because, as you mentioned, Jen at the beginning, she's kind of by the book and, book and very strict and very devoted to her job. But, like, the more she spends time with people like Wes or getting to, like, kind of be you know you know be a young adult as it were um Mm. you know she get to see that she's kind of like she's kind of sarcastic but like she's she's also not very good at jokes and like her her cooking is not that great but she you know there is like she's you see that she is capable 
of, you know, these kind of, like, being able to kind of crack that tough exterior. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked a lot about Wes with when we're talking about Jen, because right? they are kind of intricately linked. So let's just talk about Wes. Or sorry. Wes! 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 <laughs> we, we both love nailed it so much. I'm surprised we didn't make enough West jokes when we were watching this. I didn't even like it didn't even occur to me until like we were getting towards the end and all of a sudden I'm just like, Wes! Wes! I think Nicole Byer would approve of this West too. Oh yeah. Wes is definitely her type. Just big, dumb, and like hunky. <laughs> Yeah, and, and this is Wesley West Collins. Like, yes. Everyone calls him Wes, but his real name is, of course, Wesley. And he's, we already talked about kind of the command structure of him being second in command, charismatic and all that. Yeah. So I we can probably start off more in his arc of this. And he just, he starts off as a, like, super rich boy um, who doesn't know what he wants. And he's very carefree. Like... Um, he definitely does not want to take over his father's company and his father's already kind of talking him very seriously about that, uh, including like, oh, you know, Harvard's a good business school. So you kind of get this vibe that he's either just graduated from college and like, you know, finished his undergrad or he just kind of was goofing around for a while after getting out of boarding school. Um, and he, you know, it's very clear that, like, you know, his dad has had his life planned out for him since he was born, but that's clearly not what Wes wants, but he doesn't really know what he wants, which, you know what, mood. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I think that is kind of where, that is where we're meeting Wes when we first, you know, start the series and he comes across Time Force, is that you have, like, this very carefree, rich kid who... You know, he's kind of figuring stuff out and wants to, like, he wants to be less bored, it seems. Yeah. And, like, Jen really cements that in, uh, like, an episode, like, when he, like, the the second from the opening, I think, mm-hmm. is when she was like, this is not a game. Uh, You know, you're treating, she basically was, like, chastising, like, you're treating this like a game. Like, this is something you're doing because you're bored. This is very serious. Right. And Wes kind of has that whole thing. I think it's because, like, the kids get kidnapped. Right. And he's like, oh, we got to save these fucking kids. Right. That he starts going like, oh, no, I want to go be a hero. Yeah. That's what I want to do. Yeah. So basically he, like, kind of figures out that, like, with the Power Ranger stuff, that this is something that he wants to do for himself, that he wants to kind of break away from what his father has planned out for him. Um, Especially that, you know, that episode with the kids being kidnapped was such a uh was such a pivotal moment because like he goes to his dad for help just saying hey they, they're like these children have been kidnapped and you know they're like they're demanding 10 million dollars ransom and he's just like his dad's just like let's let the police handle it i'm not giving away that money even though like the vibe is that like this man is old money is balls like he has that $10 million. He can do whatever he wants with it. And so Wes kind of takes the initiative, steals the $10 million from his dad. Um, and I think later gives it away to the, like the, the children's home that they were all associated with. 
Yeah, like it was kind of the big press conference came up. It's like, oh, didn't you do that? Do it, no one. While his dad was speechless, Les was like, oh yeah, we're giving it to charity. Yeah, and that's the end of the moment where Wes is like, I, I'm going to go and be my own person. I'm not going to, you know, follow along this path that my father set out for me. And so that's a lot of his arc is just kind of, you know, maturing and. Uh, realizing that he doesn't have to go along with what people say his destiny should be, whether that be, you know, his father, you know, planning out him running the company someday, or uh, Alex saying that you're going to run the company because your father is going to die. This yeah. is this is destiny. You can't change this. Yeah, and so and it it drives home that like as we we were chanting it. Towards the end of the series of, like, no fate, but what you make for yourself. Yeah. Like, man, um, a Power Rangers season that was, like, Terminator would be kind of awesome, I think. Oh, we're gonna get to that. Oh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, also the thing we love about Wes is that he is the himbo supreme. He is the platonic ideal of what a himbo should be. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like, oh my god, like, we kept on making the joke, I am having a headache with pictures. You mean an idea? Uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like, he was just, I, he is probably, like, I can think, like, when I was reading through, uh, like, some stuff, like, the other night, I can only think of one other person who's just as himbo as him, and that's Dustin, and we're about to get to him, uh, towards next year okay. in Ninja Storm. okay. But he's just like he's so sweet and stupid and hunky. Yeah, it's like I yeah I totally get why Jen's just like, oh no, I'm suddenly very into this. Um, because it's just like he is just yeah he was just like oh my god you're so adorable and like I just want to like pet your head and like teach you about like you know basic feminism because you're you're getting there, sweetie. You're getting there. Let me just talk to you about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i think that works in a lot with wes's character development too because it's just like he starts really realizing like i'm a wait he already kind of knew he was a good person but it was kind of one of those like he lives such a pampered life he didn't realize what else he could do with it right so it's like oh wow i can do all sorts of things yeah like have your own friends and car keys you became a well-rounded person. <laughs> yeah, that's Wes's character arc. It's just, I became not just a, a, a rich boy, but a well-rounded person. <laughs> we love Wes, though. Yeah, Wes was great. I, I, I love Wes. He's probably one of my favorite Red Rangers so far. Like, him, him and Carter are right up there. I mean, also Tyler from Dino Charge, but we're not to Dino Charge yet, so we'll we'll yeah. save that conversation for later. Um, Another great himbo. Oh, Tyler is also a perfect himbo. Like, let's not get it twisted. I'm Tyler Norvar, oh. and this is my wallet. My wallet. <laughs> oh my lord. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I love how we're talking about like serious characters and they're like, let's talk about himbos. Yeah, we we like maybe that should be like a bonus episode someday. It's just that we do a himbo ranking, but maybe not until like we're through majority of Power Rangers. Yeah, we'll just we'll, we'll do a himbo making. Yeah. Um, 
I guess let's move on to who isn't a himbo, but a curmudgeon guy, uh, Eric Myers, who is kind of the lone wolf six ranger. Yeah, I mean, we've had a couple of those so far, but he's the most, like, he's the most lone wolf of them all. He's he's a boy full of angst. Um, (laughs) And it starts out, like, you don't find out when it starts out, like, because he just comes off as this asshole and then, like, they're trying to get the quantum, like, powers away from Rancic, and he just, like, yoink, I'm taking this and becoming the Quantum Ranger. <laughs> and yeah, it's sort of, it's sort of implied, but it's not really specifically said out loud until towards the end of the series, is that he's had a very different life from Wes, where, like, Eric grew up dirt poor, and actually he's still living in a trailer um, during the series, you know, despite, I don't know how much he's getting paid by um, by Mr. Collins, but, you know, he's, you know, he's struggled for a lot of his life, and, like, it seems like he, you know, that prep school that him and um, Wes went to, he must have gotten a scholarship or something, um... You know, but he's he's definitely got that, like, chip on his shoulder, you know, him himself against the world vibe. And, yeah. you know, he, he, he wants to walk alone. <laughs> you know, honestly, what, what, despite the character development, Wes and Eric very much have a Jonathan Dio vibe. Okay. Like, you know, because Jonathan grew up kind of the rich, fancy pants Londoner, and then Dio literally came from, like, shit. Right, but, you know, at least, like, we know Eric wouldn't kick a dog. Yeah, Eric wouldn't kick a dog or put a dog in a fucking furnace and tie that dog with barbed wire so it couldn't escape. I I have watched this episode of JoJo with you. I still, I still don't know how people manage to stay past JoJo after seeing that. <laughs> <laughs> like, at least chronologically. Because you know I like Diamond is Unbreakable. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, but yeah, they, they kind of, you know, except, you know, Eric's not a, a complete and other, like, dick bag like Dio. Yeah, he's a dick, but, you know, he's not an evil dick. He's just an asshole. Because that, that, that's how he starts off. He's, he's very angry. He's got a chip on his shoulder. When he meets Wes, he's like, oh, it's that guy I knew from prep school that was like, I, I'm thinking that, like, maybe he thought Wes was trying to be friendly with him as a project or something. Like, he's very cynical about their friendship. Right. Um, And all that. And, you know, again, like I said, like, the Rangers and Rancic were trying to take the quantum power the uh, away. Like, try- fighting over the quantum power. And he's, like, hearing this and everything. And he just goes up and fucking steals it. Mm-hmm makes himself the quantum ranger gets the key racks and like that's kind of the struggle with them at the beginning with uh eric is the fact they're like no eric you shouldn't have these powers and he's like why the fuck not yeah and but yes as the series kind of goes on like he never stops being kind of a dick um but like he kind of as he's like as the series kind of progresses like we see him kind of being closed off and not really wanting to accept help from others and kind of like he you know he wants that leadership position and um you know the silver guardians you know he wants to stay in that spot and you know he sees the quant being the quantum ranger as kind of an advancement for him not necessarily like a duty Mm -hmm. um you know in the way that like west sees being the red ranger 
But as the series goes on, he kind of starts kind of breaking down his own walls a little bit. The one that really starts it was like the episode uh, Trip Takes a Stand, mm-hmm. which you point out is like, this seems to be more about Eric than Trip. <laughs> right? Because, <laughs> you know, it kind of won, um, and we'll talk about this later uh, with the mutants. Um, you know, it was just like a petty thief. He needed to steal money, he needed to steal food to eat because he wasn't able to get a job or anything. Oh, that and episode's it, it, heartbreaking, by the way. But go on. Yeah. But uh, Eric is just so hell-bent on killing this mutant, or rather bringing him to justice, whatever, they, they, destroying him. Mm-hmm. You know, they were not outright saying kill. And Trip Stand is essentially like, no, you can't do that. This, he's pretty harmless. And it, it's kind of one of those weird cop racism episodes when I think they were, weren't trying to, like, say cops are racist. Right. Because, you know, Eric's just a glorified mall cop. <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty much. But, uh, you know, at the end of it, he kind of goes to shoot the the mutant and he misses and he just goes like, ah, must have been a miscalibration or something and goes off. And, you know, it's very obvious that, you know, he chanted change of heart and Trip goes... You know, I just basically trip psychic powers kicked in then and he was like, wow, like he's very lonely. Yeah. And is it that same episode where you see that the fact he is living in a trailer with some birds and he has like a neighbor? Uh, That's in a later episode, actually. Right. But it does kind of play into that is. Yeah. You see that. Yeah, he is very lonely. He doesn't really have any friends, you know, at even at work. And. You know, all he's really has is these birds, and the the old, the first friend he really makes in the series is a little girl that lives next door to him. Yeah, that comes over and wants to like see his birds. Yeah. So, and also, I'm not sure if he lives in the trailer in the yard or there is actually a home, but it's very small, so yeah. I'm not sure where he lives actually. Right. So you know, but regardless, it looks like it's not in a. Uh, there's a definite contrast between where he lives and where Wes's family lives. Right. And like, you know, but yeah, as he kind of grows into like being less of a terrible person as the series goes on, you know, he does kind of is willing to cooperate with the Rangers. Like he'll show up when they need him. And because that just happens so much in this fucking series, by the way, it's just that Eric will be like nowhere to be seen. And then he'll suddenly show up. My favorite is when, like, the, the jealousy episode where Jen finally is realizing, oh, she has a thing for Wes, uh-huh. and, like, Wes does too, and the, like, the the team's trying to make them, like, get together, so they take on a mission together, and the front desk lady is all over Wes while they're undercover, so right when they're in the middle of the battle, Eric shows up, like, are you two all right, basically, and... Jen's like, oh, yes, we are. Just starts to try to flirt with him. And he's so confused. He's like, what? Um. And, <laughs> and actually, in that bird episode, because um, it comes later with him and the, the kids and all that, the kid and the birds and all that. Because mm-hmm. also the same episode, he gets the ridiculous battleizer. Jen, oh, um, sa- like, saves him from, like, he falls in the river because it was taken from Sentai footage. Mm-hmm. So, of course, he falls in a fucking river. That's Sentai. Right. Uh, and, you know, Jen takes him out of the water and, like, 
heals him up and kind of the first hurdle is basically like Eric know like it's not really known to Eric and Biolab that they are like the Time Force Rangers are from the future. Right. And he puts it together. He's smart enough to do that. And Jen's like, don't like tell anybody about us like that. You know, that could jeopardize everything. And also, like, they have another argument and she's like, I'm just trying to be nice and you're being an asshole. And he's like, eh. Yeah, that's that's so much of Eric Eric's character arc is he being told he's an asshole and he's just like, eh. But in the end, like, he doesn't reveal the secret identity of the Rangers, even though, like, they're trying to figure out why his, like, quantum uh, morpher is so advanced. He's right. like, oh, no, I'm just a dumb soldier. Right. Um. So, yeah, even by the end of the series, he's willing to kind of, you know, put himself on the line. Like, he tells... um. Because there, there's an episode where he actually goes to the Rangers and says, "Hey, this thing is happening with the uh, was it the tri the tri something tri trizerian crystals yeah. or something yeah like yeah the trizerian crystals and like you know he goes to them and says, "Hey, this is happening. Um, I just thought you should know and like you know even like nearly dies like trying to save the city at the end of the series because like it's literally down to him just him and Wes." Uh, yeah. When the like when the rest of the Time Rangers go back act to the year three thousand, and um, I I do find it very interesting too. Like at that last, it, like even then he's warmed up and everything. It's still not there until like he gives this whole thing to Wes of like I grew up dirt poor and we're nothing alike. And then Wes is like, Hey, you know, no fate but what we make for ourselves. Let's let's. Let's help the city. And, and Eric's like, okay, I guess I'm no longer a supreme asshole. Yeah. I mean, we talk- Okay, we've talked a lot about him and Wes. So let's talk about him and Wes. Um- <laughs> so they are one of the most popular slash pairings for a reason. And I just remember I, I made the joke early on the season, you know, because you were starting to kind of get into like Jen and Wes. And I'm like, oh, just wait till like, you meet up with Eric's, uh, not Eric, uh, Wes's ex. Right. And you had no idea, I think, what I was really talking about. And then we got to, like, that episode. And you're like, wow, they are exes. Yeah, they just have this big vibe of, like, they were, they hooked up in college. They met, not, or college or prep school, whatever they were supposed to be. Like, that they hooked up there and may have dated, but it just ended really badly. And mostly because of Eric. <laughs> Let's be real, it's probably because of Eric. Right. And, like, it's that vibe of, like, Eric is the one who broke it off, but he's still really bitter about it. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? He's like my ex, except right. Eric's not as a shitty person. <laughs> yeah, I I would rather deal with Eric than your fucking ex. Um... <laughs> But yeah, it's just like, that's the whole, and it wasn't like an intentionally written thing, it's just kind of how the actors have chemistry. It's something that I think has been joked about in panels before, too, about those two. <laughs> I mean, just how weird that chemistry comes off. Yeah, I mean, I don't, under, I, like, there's no way that they've been, you know, running the con circuit for, like, almost 20 years now since time right uh, since time force and not realize that people ship them because they act like ex-boyfriends all right 
one, the horrifying thing is people have told them. Of course. Why? Of course. Of and course. They, they keep they keep like asking that at cons, like, oh my god, please stop. Oh. But the other one, like, because they know it, and uh it just seems like the energy Dan puts out is he's such a goofball. Mm-hmm. One of the paramorph cons, he literally like, because he's late to the panel, he like I know he goes and, like, ex- like exchanges kind of, like, a friendly hello kiss with somebody. I forget who. But then all of a sudden he just goes over to Jason and looks like he's about to make out with him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> it's very beautiful. I have taken a picture with this man and he literally said, like, hey, just make it look like I said something very extremely funny to you. <laughs> Oh man, when when we st- are able to do cons again, I am really looking forward to meeting some of the Time Force Rangers. They're pretty top tier con meets. Okay. Um, and you mentioned okay. I guess you talked about taking a picture with Eric. Um, or not Eric. What was it? Dan Southward. Dan Southward. Yeah. So, uh, so Jules's favorite uh Ranger in the entire franchise, favorite character is uh, is Eric. <laughs> Because he is, um, there's a lot of argument of where the first anti-hero in Power Rangers is, and a lot of people go Magna Defender, and I'm like, mm, kind of, but I really feel like Eric's kind of that first anti-ranger. Right. Because Zordon establishes three roles at the get-go, and that is, don't use your powers for, uh, don't use your powers unless, uh, for escalation unless Rita forces you to. Right. Don't uh, use your powers for personal gain and do not reveal your secret identity. Right. Uh, Depending on the season, the secret identity. mm. But those are three kind of the big roles that are established throughout each season. Mm -hmm. And here is Eric breaking all three of them. Yeah. Like, he essentially got his powers for personal gain and through the entire season, except towards the end, really more uses it for personal gain. Right. He will not real like, it, especially at the very beginning, he kind of uses it to kind of escalate battles, even though he doesn't have to. Particularly with, like, that one, again, that one mutant who is just, you know, wanting to serve his sentence and just go on his merry way. Right. Like, you know, he didn't have to transform to shoot him. But right. He did. And, um, and then kind of also, like, he was, that's how, because of his identity being known as the Quantum Ranger, that's how he got the advancement that he did. Right. So it's kind of like, he's that, and also, like, because he is so opportunistic and not lawful good or lawful stupid, like you see a lot of the other Rangers, I think, like, Leo was the closest we had to just being, like, chaotic good. Right. Like, he actually has, like, he basically more, like, I say this is like, I hate using this term because J.K. Rowling is a turf, but he's kind of one of the rare versions of a Power Ranger Slytherin. Yeah, I can see it. And just because of, like, how he was crafted and everything and he ended up, you know, being kind of the Darth Vader boyfriend where there's good in him and he becomes good, like... He kind of became my favorite. He just is my favorite character throughout the entire franchise because of just how well complexed and weaved and taken care of he is to tell his story. Right. And that I found interesting. I also like garbage assholes. I, so that was also a positive towards that. Yeah. I mean, I know that you like garbage men. 
Like, do you want to talk about your first favorite wrestler being Chris Jericho? <laughs> <laughs> During Chris Jericho's WCW like run where he was just a total garbage dork. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we're going to move on from garbage boy to good boy with Trip. Yeah. Uh, which uh, Trip is our alien tech genius from the planet Siberia. Uh, which I think we briefly talked about Siberia when we did, um, we talked about the psychopath. Yeah. Uh, because our, our brony friend Zoni, Green Ranger from that, was from Siberia as well. Yeah, and uh, and they also played in the psychopath of how, like, their culture is, there's no secrets because they're pretty much all communicate through telepathy. And, and I'm thinking also empathy as well. Yeah. Um. So because of that kind of cultural... Uh, difference is that Trip is kind of just this very naive, very sweet, um, sweet kid. I mean, I say that like, like you know, he's probably the same age as the rest of the Rangers, but he kind of has the most childlike innocence of the re- of all of them. Yeah. Um. So, so he's always very, so he always comes across very kind, and like he's the one that kind of gets his feeling, like his feelings hurt the most, if that makes sense. Yeah. And because you especially see that in the episode where, you know, it is uh, the, the, the self-confidence episode of the season is about Trip and how he kind of feels outside of the rest of the Rangers. Um, a lot because he's not physically fit or 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 when he was like, I'm not as cool as Lucas or not as physically fit as the others. Yeah. So and it doesn't help that Lucas constantly makes him feel bad about himself. Yeah, we'll get into Lucas and how much he sucks. Right. <laughs> um. So, but yeah, he. So Trip is, Trip is interesting because like his character is psychic, but it seems like they forget that he's psychic until they need him to be psychic. Yeah, like like it's plot relevance that he has a vision, or he's like, oh, Eric's lonely, or stuff like that. Like it, and they do kind of do explain away from this in the beginning a little bit with the fact that he had to do an episode where because he's used to being from Siberia, like his whole thing is like, oh, I'm used to everyone knowing, you know, each other. And like he caused Lucas to lose a poker game or something that he was playing with Wes. Right. And um, so, you know, he he had to learn like basically like, oh, you know, use it when you need to around humans. Right. And I'm, it kind of also makes me wonder, like, does is Trip like a fresh cadet, like that just got to be a ranger and has? So let's just assume like Time Force is a little like cop training, and which it's like a couple of months, mm-hmm. um, maybe to a year. But let's let's go with like a half a year towards the training. He's probably fresh from Siberia and still kind of is getting used to human culture. You know that yeah, that definitely makes sense. So I guess I'm trying to explain like he's been with humans for a while. He should realize how humans like work. Yeah, unless he unless he hasn't been around humans for a while. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, um But uh like I said, it's like Trip's kind of out of uh out of the Rangers, he's kind of just there more to facilitate the plot going forward. He really doesn't grow himself as a character, mm-hmm. but he definitely is like a jumping off point for a lot of people, particularly because 
uh, he and Katie are both very much moral compasses for the series. Yeah, so Trip, in terms of episodes, he doesn't get a whole lot of them, and a lot of his episodes kind of more focus around, like, kind of his own vulnerabilities. Um, not to say, mm-hmm. and not, not, they never say that they're bad things, but, like, kind of they focus around that. Um, but, yeah, he is, he, yeah, he is the character there that is mostly there to be kind of the moral compass to the rest of the rangers. And, um, because, of, like, again, we, we mentioned Katie, let's go on to her, and she's the Yellow Ranger of the season, and she's basically the genetically engineered strong girl, and no, they're not gonna explain why she's a strong girl. Yeah, like... Okay, our headcanon about that is that, like, because they do talk early in the series, is that the future, in the future, that um, there's, there is genetic engineering, um, and that basically you can make whatever you want your child to be um, from that. Uh, mm-hmm. And which, that's another thing that I feel like aped from the Matrix a lot, is because, like, when you do see, they talk about that genetic engineering, it was just, like, this straight white background. And with all the tech of, like, the, them engineering the babies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you have mutants that kind of spawn out from that, just that are, that are, they're defects of the process. Um, but, so, like, everybody else on the team is pretty normal-ish, like, minus, like, you know, Trip. Uh, but he, you know, he's an alien. He's not a, he's not a genetic, like, in genetically engineered baby from Earth. Uh, but Katie is super strong and like our headcanon is that her family just kind of wanted to like make a family of superhero types so they may they probably just had her genetically engineered to be like super strong and that's that's really the that's really the extent of it (laughs) katie's like you know they say all men are created equal but you look at me and you look at samoa joe and you can see that that's statement is not true see normally if you go on one-on-one with another wrestler you got a 50 50 chance of winning but i'm a genetic freak and i'm not normal hello did i kill you i can't believe you just fucking did that (laughs) i'm like if there was video of me right now when you fucking did that (laughs) She's gonna fight Samoa Joe at Sacrifice. <laughs> I mean, I'd watch that. Sure, I mean, Impact does ge- inner gender now. Let's just fucking do it, okay? Let's just fucking She's do gonna it. She's gonna fight. Fucking do Let's it. Fucking, fucking do it. <laughs> oh, God. I just... I'm trying... I, how, do I, how do I move away forward from that? <laughs> Okay, um... I actually made you speechless. I... Yeah, I got nothing. I got... I'm looking right at the show notes and I don't know how to... Okay, um... So, Katie... Moving... (laughs) Yeah, Katie, moving on from, like, making that Scott Steiner promo. uh, She's kind of the big sister and, again, the other more compass of the show. Um, She's especially seen close to Trip because Trip's kind of, like, weenie nerd type and she's like i'll protect you with my strong muscles yeah and they're they're seen as actually relatively close from like the beginning of the season um so i just imagine that they probably um came up through like the time force academy together yeah um kind of like how they talk about in in brooklyn 99 about how 
uh, Rosa and uh, Jake were in the same class. So they kind of have more of a, a close relationship than anybody else on the team does. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I can kind of see, like, they don't really talk about it, but I can see that, you know, they probably came up through Time Force Academy together and Katie at some point was just like, well, I'm this, I'm his mother now. I must protect him. <laughs> I must protect the small bean. Yeah. Um, so Katie, unfortunately, doesn't really get a whole lot in terms of, like, character episodes or character development, which is one of the sad flaws of the season is that there definitely should have been more Katie. Uh, I was going to say, like, one of our small things was, uh, it, it was, like, an episode and kind of calls back to it later is, like, she's kind of afraid of the future changing. Right. Because, it's, like, you could make the joke of, like, she just doesn't want to memorize a whole bunch of new kings when she gets back. <laughs> like fuck that yeah um but i think mostly it comes from a place of that she's worried about what's going to happen with her family when she gets back because it seems like she comes from a very big and close family and she doesn't want to like she's worried about what's going to change um if the future changes um yeah. but and so she kind of has to overcome that fear. And I think it's a fear that a lot of us have to kind of overcome is kind of a fear of the future and, you know, what happens when things change. Shout out Anxiety Squad. Hey! But I think, so that's a big, so that is a big kind of character moment for her is just being like, I'm not afraid of the future. Like, I'm not afraid of changing the future. I know that what we're doing here is going to be for the betterment. Mm-hmm. And it's fighting for now is what's important. And so I think it is very nice to kind of see her kind of take that art. Um, and it's fair to say, I think that plays into a little bit of her other like big character episodes when she inadvertently time travels through, through ghosts, through ghosts. There's fucking ghosts now. Um, so I feel like that kind of that lesson she learns there, she kind of imparts to her, to the past, I guess. Um, but yeah, so there should have been more Katie. I would have liked to have seen more Katie. She was great. Like, for the time we have with her, she's just great. And I'm like, I I want more. Maybe, maybe if we get, like, lucrative boom deals or just, you know, fan fiction. Yeah, and, like, I feel like she's also kind of a little bit of a comic relief. Like, not, she's not just there to crack jokes, but she does crack a fair amount of jokes. And, like, uh, her, her super strength does provide, like, great comedic moments. Mm Mm-hmm. Like when like the Rangers will be struggling with something and Katie just gets in there and it's just like, yeah. And then I think she oh also I forgot about her other uh, f- focal episode is where she's like working with this um, photographer. Yeah. And who's trying to expose the identity of the Rangers. And it kind of like that entire episode is kind of a millennial mood because like I can't remember the photographer's name, but um, he works for this like kind of this dirt rag um which (laughs) been there um (laughs) so she kind of works for this so he kind of works for this dirt rag that is just like you know the the guy who's the editor is kind of like a j jonah jameson where he's like i don't want pictures of like the power rangers i want the pictures of the power rangers unmasked bring me pictures of the power rangers unmasked and um so katie is kind of working as his assistant and and sort of the odd job uh category and she tries to talk to him about, like, you know, why don't you do more photography of your art and, you know, your and these, like, beautiful, like, wildlife photos that you take? And uh, he's just like, oh, well, those don't sell. And I, you know, I need to 
you know, I need to, I need this to survive. And he's basically, his entire job is on the line because if he doesn't get pictures of the, of the Power Rangers unmasked, he's going to get fired. And so I think for Katie, it's, she's kind of teaching him about like, you know, there, there is that no fate, but what you make for yourself. And you, you don't, you know, you don't have to follow along with this. Yeah. And, you know, I'm guessing, I hope he, and it looks like he probably has enough of a portfolio that maybe National Geographic would be interested. I mean, it is Power Rangers. Let's say that. Yeah. Like, let's, he, he actually got that job at National Geographic. Yeah. I mean, if, if Dana from Lightspeed Rescue can become a, a doctor in a year, like this guy totally got a job at National Geographic. We'll get to Dana in a bit. Um, yeah. Uh, let's, let, let, let's, I guess. Unless you have more to talk about with Katie. There should have been more Katie. That's all I really have left to say. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's go with Lucas Kendall, frat boy supreme. <sighs> God. Okay. So, like, yeah. That's basically Lucas's character is that he's this frat boy that likes fast cars. And he likes women uh, and his own visage, as it were. Yeah. It's kind of... um a little like the whole race car thing kind of comes from Ayase from Time Ranger yeah Time Ranger mm-hmm. uh who is uh Time Blue who is like kind of like very calm but also a huge adrenaline junkie and he had the reason for it is because he had a terminal illness that just kind of made up by the way for the series oh my god so he he was a terminally ill boy and a sad boy and Lucas had none of that so he was just like a fast car women and his looks uh like most of this episode is really more around like of revolved around like racing because of that right especially that that one they did take from time ranger involving like the fucking bro he had mm-hmm. that was kind of gay yeah because i forget the name of his like his mutant friend who was also a race car driver that was, like, the entire vibe of it was, one, kind of gay, two, implied that this mutant accidentally killed children. Yeah, that was weird. (laughs) Like, it's not outright said, but there's very heavy implication that, like, the the reason that this mutant went to jail was because he accidentally ran over children. I'm thinking it was, like, that, uh, it's either an Irish or UK ad that involves like don't speed in uh in um like residential areas because it involves like basically this whole buildup of this of these kids going out to like a picnic like field trip and then this guy like then a car like because it it drove like had to avoid something for going too fast got out of control and literally like rolled over them and killed them my god and, it, you know, I think it, like, was it something like that? Like, you were driving out of control and, and, and you know, you became a British PSA? <laughs> I, that's really all I can assume is what happened there. But they just, because they never actually say, they just said, you made a mistake and you have to pay for it. It's like, what mistake? What happened? <laughs> Did you kill children? Um, and... Like, the only time, really, Lucas shows off a personality is when he's being, like, kind of Tripp's big brother, even though it's very, like, cis, mm-hmm. male, hat like, type situation where he's like, this is how you pick up chicks, this is how you be cool. It's like, shut up, bro. Yeah. Um, 
I, I just remember like we were watching him pick up a woman and they obviously they made it like oh it worked and I'm like if that was said to any woman they would laughed and dated him in the fear that he was gonna kill them right yeah or or he or might have gotten maced he would have probably gotten maced in the face <laughs> he would have totally gotten maced in the face like okay you weirdo <laughs> um the uh the other was like there is this episode at the end of the of the series where it's he writes a love letter to his car his first race car and I can I can only really describe it as like a Roger Taylor moment. I'm in love with my car. Yeah, I just wow. He wrote a fucking poem about how he wants to fuck his car. <laughs> and like his his poetry book drops out of his la- uh, like his lo- like pocket when he was like fighting, and Adira picks it up and thinks it's about her because of the line like I know that you're bad, but I love you anyway, or some shit like that. Yeah. So it's this entire episode of hijinks of misunderstanding that he, like, was supposed to, like, that Nadira thought he liked him, including, like, the, like, well, I'm good looking and great. What, why, you know, why would she want to dump me and the, and Katie and, and, um, and, uh, uh, Jen are like, well, we'll, we'll show you how to be yucky. Even though it's like, he can just be himself. Exactly. I mean, Nadira, let's face it, Nadira's just kind of like, can you spend money on it, on me, and are you hot? Yeah. Like, that's Nadira's baseline. Which, so, you, you know, know, I understand. <laughs> so, they, they had to go a little below that baseline, which I did love the, uh, it's my laundry, do you think you could do it for me? Oh, man. <laughs> I that mean, was, that's a, that, was, I, that would be a deal breaker for me, too. Like, I can barely do my own laundry, I'm not doing yours. <laughs> Yeah, and and I I just love like when when like he was like I'm broke, can you pay for our meal? And she's like, that's it, we're through. And he was and uh, like at the very end, he's like, does that mean you're not gonna do my laundry? <laughs> yeah, that was actually I legitimately laughed at that. Like it was just so well done. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of Lucas. We found him kind of the weakest character, and all I can say is at least he's not Rocky. He had some use. Yeah, like, yeah, he's, I want, I'm not going to rank him as the worst in Power Rangers history, because, like, he does and contribute some things to the team, um, but, yeah, he is, I, yeah, I just, I, I did not vibe with Lucas. Yeah, L- Lucas is not a vibable character. Yeah. But, yeah, at least he's not Rocky. He's not Rocky. What was it that one tweet that was like going through the season two Power Rangers and went to Rocky and went like and named like a one off thing that could go and describe them like Billy Smart and all that and Rocky the second Red Ranger in season two of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> we are an anti Rocky podcast. Oh yeah, for sure. Um. Oh, yeah, so let's kind of move on to our non-Ranger allies, which there's actually not many this season. Um, this, this season's actually pretty tight with its cast and crew. Um, mm. So our first one is going to be our good little old robot boy, Circuit. He's a he's a pure cinnamon robot. Too too good for this world. Too pure. Too pure. <laughs> he, he, um... This was kind of interesting, because it's like, he had a, like, a personality, and even his own character arc, because... Like, right before his, like, Circuit Unsure, which is, like, one of the last episodes mm-hmm. of the series, 
like he that's kind of a self-esteem episode and before that like he was kind of showing that stuff was you know he because of how things were changing and also because alex was being a secretive bitch right like he would have gaps in his memory or stuff like that so he was like oh am i even a good robot you know what what's going on yeah, and it's so it's uh, it's actually a really sad self esteem episode because he's just like I just can't do it. Yeah, and um, uh, we kind of you know he because of that we I think we just gravitated the the circuit immediately because not only is he so cute, like it didn't take long to warm up to him. I don't think you fully ever warmed up to Alpha Five. No, not really. Like. Yeah, Alpha 5 was fine. Um, I kind of started warming up to him a little towards the end of the series. Like, end of, well, end of Mighty Morphin. But, like, I can't say I really gravitated towards any sort of Alpha model until the second Alpha 6. Yeah. Um, in, in space. But, yeah, I just, I never really, yeah, me and Alpha just never quite got along until, uh, until then. <laughs> um, um. And then, like, Circuit, and you were just, like, in love with Circuit, like, his design, the fact that also, like, unlike Alpha 5 and sort of Alpha 6, that was just kind of there, and more, like, Alpha 5 more panicked and didn't really do much, and Alpha 6 either, like, it wasn't until, like, in space where Alpha 6 helped out a lot. Right. And then before that, it was just kind of like, why are you, um, being, uh, kind of gross yeah um but yeah so circuit but yeah circuit was just sort of he had personality he was super cute and like um and yeah so he and he served like an actual like great purpose with the team of serving communication between what was like like serving as the communication link between the future and the rest of the team like, he would be the one to call in the Zords, and, like, there was an entire episode where, like, they were trying to, like, disable him, so that way he was not smart anymore, and it was so, it was, like, I was, like, legitimately concerned. Yeah, also, doesn't he say two plus two is potato or something? Yeah, something like that. Like, they just have him speaking, like, just random bullshit, uh, just to show that he is now a dumb robot. <laughs> Yeah, and you were just super concerned and, like, almost on the... You weren't really in the verge of tears, but you're like, oh, no! Yeah, like, please, somebody help the, like, the little robot Owlboy! Please help him! Yeah. Um. So, we were very sad when we looked it up. There was no fucking toy of Circuit. Yeah, like, there's the design of Circuit is just perfect to make some sort of toy of. And, like... Like, just even just one that would just speak random phrases and maybe, like, flap his, like, wings and clo open and close his eyes. Especially around the time that this was when Furbies were popular. Um, oh, my God. Like, imagine, like, Circuit with, like, the ability of a Furby to kind of copy your words and stuff. Oh, man. That would have been great. But they never, they never tried it. They never even tried to make a basic one. I'm just like, how? Like, because we could go online and search for, like, any Zord we want. Um, because, like, we keep saying that we're gonna find the Wolf Shogun Zord, which we haven't done yet. You know, we have- Jules has the Frog Zord now. <laughs> I mean, I do want the Wolf Shogun Zord, and I found it. It's just like, oh, I have no funds. Yeah, it's true. Um, you know, and someday we're gonna get Tor. But, like, you know, there's no circuit. We want a circuit. Hasbro, if you're listening to this podcast, which you're probably not, and that's probably for the best. 
Um, but if you are, Circuit Lightning Collection, just think about it. Just think about just it. Think, just <laughs> think about it. We just want a circuit. Yeah. Um, so I guess like oh go ahead yeah I guess I guess moving on uh we we we're gonna get to like the other non ranger ally who starts off actually as the red ranger of the series before he dies dies Alex oh. we thought you were dead you asshole fucking just so basically when Alex showed back up I was like I I fucking hate you um just because like he's ends up being super hard on the rangers for their mission, despite the fact he has not been there the entire time. He doesn't know what they've been doing. But he just... He, he, yeah. He's only been, like, in the shadows sending them zords. Like, that's all he's been doing. Yeah. And... I, 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 I'm very doubtful he has read Jen's field reports. Yeah. Yeah. And so he just insists on coming back and just steamrolling himself back into the team. And, like... um. And it's just sort of just an entire dick the entire time. Like, I just... I kind of like, at the beginning, he starts out as the ace, you know, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, a good choice for Jen and everything. And then all of a sudden, when he does come back, they're like, it's almost as if, like, that mask comes off or something, and it shows, like, he isn't, uh, like, the person we set up. Right. Which works for the series, but just, God, he's such an insufferable asshole. Oh, he really is. Like, oh, oh my God, he is, like, he is that cop, you know? Like, that's, like, he's that cop where his entire personality is, I'm a cop and I deserve respect. Um, Yeah, pretty much. Like, I bet he would go to, like, a future Wendy's and be like, where's my cop discount? Right. Like, why are you charging me? Sir, this is future Wendy's. (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so yeah i just oh god it was just it felt like not to bring up everybody's least favorite episode of the simpsons the principal and the pauper but it's like this is like i feel like alex showing up and just steamrolling the team and being an entire just dick about it and insisting that this is the way like uh, time force needs to be run, even though I haven't been here this entire time, and I don't know what like, what you're actually doing with the team. Um, it's like I just I it's a, it just made me feel like how must the rest of Springfield must have felt like meeting the real Principal Skinner. Yeah, because he's just such a fucking hardline asshole. And like by the end of that episode, they literally tie him to a train and just have him shipped out of town. <laughs> I'm like, why don't you guys do that? Just just tie him to a train. And just have him leave town and just don't worry about sending him back to the future. <laughs> or, or just, or tie him, or, or just go to the future and tie him to something and let the, uh, what, what is that, uh, the, the sword we really like? Uh, with the, the, the time sword? I, I, whack them? I, yeah, robot wax. I'm looking up right now. The Transwarp Megazord. <laughs> yeah, we love the Transwarp Megazord. We are, so. we are a Transwarp Megazord, uh, fan podcast now. <laughs> Um, the Transwarp Megazord just launches him to, like, some era that does not have humans. Yeah. He, he either gets launched way into the future or way into the past. <laughs> either way. Or the sun. Yeah. Or the sun. The sun works, too. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's still obvious, though, he has a soft spot for Jen. Um, just because, like, towards the end of the series, he gives Wes the Stratocycle so he can help with, help Jen. 
And, um, but ultimately, like, okay, we kept shouting at Jen for t- to dump him because he was just that terrible. And then she does! <laughs> yeah, she just, like, gives him the, like, basically, oh my god, the whole thing. This is entirely, I think, Time Force related is... Well, two things that are just entirely time for us. One, he's bugging them why they aren't wearing their uniforms. And they're like, well, Wes thought we would blend in better if we looked, you know, like we were from the year 2001. Uh, The funny thing about Time Ranger is, like, Time Ranger has this whole thing where, one, they'll imprint you with all the knowledge you need to, like, come off like you're from 2000. Uh Uh-huh. And then they, like, assign you clothing to wear to blend in. Right. So they actually are a little bit more, like, you know, that made more sense than, like, like Alex's whole, like, don't blend in or anything. Make yourself look as futuristic and weird as possible. Uh, see, this is why it's, like, he's not, he's not around. He doesn't get it. It's, like, yeah, definitely, like, when you're fucking, like, boss from, like, two levels above, like, your boss's boss's boss comes in. And questions why you're not doing this certain thing. I'm like, I'm following the, like, the procedure you set forward for me doesn't fucking work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, you want to step back here and make a latte? Um, but no, it, it's one of, and then, like, the other thing was, like, I don't think this was a thing in Time Ranger where he was like, well, you're back now, and you're, we're just gonna erase your fucking memories. Yeah, that was so weird. They're just like, well, we need to get you readjusted to being back in the future, so we're going to erase your memories. Like, that just seems more like a dick move. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, wow, that's really weird that you're just like, let's just erase. It's like, you're just learning history. Like, oh, wow, you now know a lot about the history of 2001. Like, yeah. what's that going to do with living in 3000? Yeah. But, um, no, it was during that time period of being, like, having the memories of what erased, and Jen just refuses because she's thinking of Wes and everything, and she's like, you know, I'm sorry, I gotta go back for Wes. And, it, like, it, you can see in her face and everything in his face, like, you know, I think you brought it out best, like, when she hands the ring back and everything. It was like watching John Cena when he was engaged to Nikki Bella and watching, like, her dance, um, Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, with Artem. It was like that. It's just that, like, br- like heartbreak in his face as he realizes, oh, no, my fiancé is into another man. Yeah. Nikki says that she wasn't, but she's fucking lying. <laughs> yeah. Woo. Oh, my God. Um. So, yeah, he does warm up a little bit after that, but, yeah, his... His character arc is, he's a dick, so he gets dumped. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, first half of the season, he is fridged. Um, so I guess moving on from Alex, uh, is Mr. Collins, who is the, like, he is the supporting character that we see throughout most of the season, who does actually get a character arc, weirdly enough. Um, so he is the ultra-rich CEO of Biolab, and is Wes's father. Um... It's implied that he's a widower, maybe? Like, Wes does not have a mom that's around, so... Around, and, and it kind of almost, like... Uh, like, I don't think he already states it, but it implies, like, when he says stuff at the beginning, almost it's like, almost this weird implication of, like, oh, if only your mother were here to see this. Right. So, like, you know, yeah. so Wes's mom is probably dead, because it's Power Rangers. 
Yeah, there's there's almost like no mention of a divorce or anything. And yeah, Power Rangers is so weird. Unlike there has to be only one parent around <laughs> after Mighty Morphin, right? And then, um, so yeah, and his whole character arc is that he starts off as this ultra rich asshole who cares about nothing but money and his company. And um, he, you know, he we've talked about it with Wes, but he's just so determined that Wes follow this particular plan that he set out for him of like going to business school and then eventually like becoming the head of the company and all this fun stuff that Wes clearly does not want to do. And it actually, uh, cause we'll, we'll go touch on this as this character growth, but like the first thing that shows really about that character growth is when like they're in a limo because you know, that's, that's iconography for rich people right. is a limo. Right. And, um, so, uh, the the kids we mentioned that were kidnapped earlier, they were playing ball nearby, like with a softball, and it hits the car, and like, uh, Mister Collins pretty much acts like a dick, and it's like you guys should know should learn a lesson here about like playing with such things around me, and basically orders his butler to go throw it away or something, or Wes to go throw it away or whatever, and uh. This is whole dick move to these children. It's like you know that you're in a park, like a public park. Kids are allowed to play ball in a public park, and sometimes kids will accidentally like hit hit something with their with what they're playing with. Like they they weren't trying to break your window on purpose, and the window didn't even break. It just bounced off the hood of the car. Kind of reminds me of when I was in college, this guy just got angry at the fact that we were like snowball fighting a snowball in his car. It wasn't that hard. And he was just like, hey, you know, next time you touch my car, I'll kill you. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's just that entire vibe. He's like, oh, I'm going to teach them a lesson. It's like, what's the lesson here? Like, like, don't touch other people's property, even though it was an accident. Yeah. So like. And then, like, later Wes kind of, you know, after his dad leaves, just gives the, like, gives the ball back to the children right. and apologizes. Yeah. And so he just acts like that until, um, uh, basically when we're introduced to, like, the Silver Guardians and all that. And, um, he also runs into Wes doing one of the odd jobs at this point, um, which is, like, um picking up garbage and um he just kind of looks down at Wes like oh so you're picking up other people's garbage now and da, da, da. and Wes can't really exp- like trip goes to defend Wes but Wes is like oh, you know we got to keep it secret like down low right and then a monster attacks in front of Mr. Collins's limo and so you know it you know an explosion happens where like Wes's visor is damaged and you can see it's clearly Wes inside the helmet mm-hmm. and everything. And so they have this kind of big emotional scene about this. And that's when Mr. Collins starts to kind of turn because he realizes like Wes tells him like, this is my own thing that I'm doing. I'm trying to help people. Okay. Like this is what I want to do in my path. And it kind of goes into much later in the series you know they sometimes interact and it's a little mm, but still like good-hearted um it's starting to like warm up and everything especially like when the the so towards the end of the series like there's um frax releases a mutant 
that was once bit Rancic, and that's why Rancic has these weird powers of, like, growing metal out of him, mm-hmm. was because of, like, the venom of this mutant just makes people kind of ill and die. Right. But it, what it does to mutants, it kind of alters their DNA. Right. So he basically needs, uh, Biolab needs to develop a serum, essentially, to help people out and because of that there's this whole thing of like well this shouldn't have been developed until 100 years from now right so you know west makes the plead and everything and then rancic goes and you know mr collins is thinking about it especially since i think there are still people recovering from it and everything and all that and so rancic comes by and basically ransacks the lab because frax has destroyed all of the serum originally that they had from the future and takes it and kind of makes this whole thing like oh yeah touching father moment you you threw him out of your life and mr collins of course goes like i did but he chose his own path and i will never be more proud of him yeah it's like rancic which a weird moment to have that proud father moment yeah, you could have told him, but toxic masculinity, I guess. Yeah. And so, like, you know, blow he blows up Mr. Collins and runs out and laughs. And then, like, this whole thing, like like you said, like, Alice comes and at this time point, and it's like, well, you know, Wes needs to go take over the company because his father is about to die. All this has to happen. It's this big destiny thing. And by the end of it, like, Alex comes and heals, like, Mr. Collins of his wounds. Uh, Wes does find out through um, uh, doc- uh, Dr. Z- uh, Zaskin, who was actually there when Mr. Collins took that blow, that, you know, oh, your dad's real proud of you and wants you to live your own life. And, you know, he heals from, like, future stuff, thinks it's, you know, Wes he saw because it was, re- you know, stuff's blurry and Alex looks like Wes. Right. And he kind of learned, like, he gives Wes this whole thing of, like, I want you to go be a ranger because that's what you want to do. And that's where it changes for him that he's looking to actually be a better person now, especially for Wes. Right. Because Wes wants And uh, at the end of the series, he is, like, Wes kind of gives him kind of this weird, it's a sad speech because it's, like, Mr. Collins knows that something is up, but Wes isn't being forward about it. Right. And I think it, I, and it wasn't, I think, until the battle, like, the big battle of the city happened and things are getting destroyed, Mr. Collins, I think, realizes, like, Wes was saying goodbye. Right. <laughs> like, oh, my son just went on a suicide mission and is trying to find, like, Wes throughout the city and ends up giving up his limo. You know, the thing that he valued the most at the beginning of these kids, like, you know barely like hurting and he was like oh you heard it blah blah he gives up his limo to let people go to the hospital with it yeah which is uh really just a big character moment for him is just being able to be selfless and realize that like his son was right all along and it's like mm-hmm. really the ideal like ending would have him been him giving up his fortune or like just funneling all of his money into like you know, better ventures than the Silver Guardians. But, you know what? Let's just have him have a moment where he realizes that, like, Wes was right and that he, you know, being a better person is not going to, like, lose him money or anything like that. Or it will lose him money, but, you know, he'll be a better person. (laughs) 
I don't I don't know if like what Biolab is gonna like it's it's unclear we'll probably see in the comics it's, even in the team up in the next se- se- season uh like it's unclear what Biolab really does other than kind of fund like help with the Silver Guardian program right but I have a feeling like he might be because of that whole like Serum thing he might be looking into medical technology now. possibly yeah um so yeah we talked a little bit about it so let's t- move on to our villains um so our first one who is our big bad for the season is rancic who is actually played by um well-known australian character actor vernon wells basically rancic's whole thing is what if magneto but you took like he was just a total actual asshole not you're kind of a dick but you have points right yeah rancic the entire time is just a huge asshole um as we mentioned before, like, he is a mutant made from, like, basically the genetic garbage, uh, who is also, like, uh, what's the name of that mutant again with the, like, Venafang or something like that? Yeah, something like that. And, um, and I don't want to look it up right now. Somebody else can correct me later. <laughs> um, we can put it in the show notes. Yes, true. Um, but yeah, so he's, you know, like most mutants, he's, like, he's created from genetic garbage and, like, um... So he has this one mutant that basically bites him and, like, it makes his condition worse. Um, So he has this tragic backstory of just being an outcast of society who can't really, like, function like a regular human. And, um, but it makes, instead of just making him, like, the kind of understandable jerk, he's just a straight jerk. (laughs) Um, Like... You know, when he got bitten by that one mutant, a uh, doctor with, like, all these... The Cyclobots, actually, it goes into the Cyclobots ocean. Um, Dr. Ferrix? Yeah, Dr. Ferrix. Kind of comes in and helps him out with his, you know, with the serum and with, you know, a serum in a makeup case. And he's obviously holding, like, a Blade Runner umbrella. Right. Uh, but takes him in from the cold and, like, helps him out and everything. And, you know... Rancic's, like, making fun of him the entire time, and Dr. Ferrix is actually coming up as very, like, altruistic, like, no, I want to help people, I like robots, I like mutants, I don't care. And for all the kindness he did, Rancic's just like, ha-ha, fuck you, I'm killing you and blowing you up for shits and giggles. Yeah, and, like, blows him up, takes all the serum that he had made, and just runs off into what I assume is the source. Um... It's just like, wow, dude, like, you, you're given kindness by an actual human being who wants to actually help you and, like, understands your, like, may not understand your plight fully, but wants to assist, and you're just like, nope. <laughs> Fuck you, and, buddy. And in terms of, in terms of actual Dio Brando, he doesn't have Dio Brando's backstory the way Eric does, but he does act like Dio Brando when it comes to yeah, it. Yeah, that is Big, yeah, big Dio Brando energy from my understanding of Dio Brando. I mean, he's not as sexy or anything, so. But he just kind of just has the energy of just being like, like, I could see Rancic at the beginning of the season, like, Jed goes up to him and is like, how, like, how many humans have you killed? And, and Rancic could easily have said, like, do you know, do you remember how many breads you have eaten in your life? <laughs> Like, that actually sounds like a rancic line. It does. <laughs> like, it's just it's just dumb enough to be rancic. Uh, and then you wanted to, you know, uh, one of the things we noticed about his disease that he got from that bite, because really he just kind of has, like, gen- like 
he's more human looking than most mutants, but he's still kind of like, there's some things about him, particularly that weird eye thing and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then he like develops basically powers to pull swords out of his kneecaps and shit. And it's, it's, it literally comes from that venom that reacts to his mutant DNA. And we just kept calling him Bonitis. Yeah. It's like, yeah, just, he's like, he needs to find a cure for his Bonitis. Which, in his defense, he does, because it seems like the serum that he that, that is developed by Biolab doesn't have, like, a particular entropy point. I That might yeah. not even be the right word for it, but because, like, the serum that, like, Rancic takes throughout most of the series, he has to keep taking it or he's gonna die. But after he takes this one serum developed by Biolab, which Biolab is using to heal everyone around the city, which, by the way, that episode hits so different when you're living through a pandemic. Um, it really does. <laughs> um, but yeah, after that, he doesn't need to take more serum. So I guess his his uh, his bonitis is cured? <laughs> question mark? Um, question mark. But the, but the other thing that kind of comes up is, um, and this goes towards his end, is his love for Nadira is just as much as it is to destroy the world. However, he doesn't like when the whole Lucas thing happens, like he doesn't threaten to kill Lucas for looking at his daughter or anything. No, he like basically forces Lucas on a date and shows everything that Nadira likes so Nadira can be happy. Right. So he's very much about Nadira, like like his literal daughter, which we assume that she might be adopted, but still. Um, he's very much about making Nadira happy and um probably loves her like more than he loves wanting to destroy all humans um to the point that towards the end of the series when like she is injured trying to like save a baby that is not hers she's just a fucking baby she found that he has yeah, and, and she gets injured and he has so, through a blast that he throws yeah he suddenly has a change of heart and turns himself over to the time for, uh, to time force when literally five minutes earlier Jen is like I'm going to bring you in or die trying and he's like make me yeah you know, this is like battle to the death here and then it's like you know humans aren't so bad look how cute this baby is and I almost killed Nadira yeah what it's like sure okay sure <laughs> um and- I guess this is a good dropping point to go into Nadira, who also has that strange character development. Uh, she is pretty much Rancic's spoiled daughter. Uh, she's just a mutant who loves shopping, and she's so ultra femme. Yeah, so she's just kind of the spoiled brat throughout most of the series, who, like, her main motivation is just causing chaos and, like, stealing pretty things. To the point where it's just like, you would think Silver Hills at this point would put out an APB for a pink, a skinny pink-haired woman who's just going around to every shop in town and stealing things. Yeah. Also, you know, I kind of like her her thing of, like, she has very expensive tastes and she steals for it. I'm like, you know, that's a good vibe yeah. to have. And then, like, whenever she'll take mutants that her dad, like, releases out shopping and when they, and they're as useful to her until they run out of money. Or can't really help her steal things anymore. Yeah, it's just like, oh, well, you're done with it. Yeah. But yeah, she just kind of breezes through as this, like, superficial evil girl who, you know, she she just steals things, wants to cause havoc, and wants the shiny things. You know, loot and pillage and stuff. Yeah. 
And then she, like, goes into a store. It was during, like, when Rancic is, like, going through the city. I forget why. I think it was trying to find Frax. Right. And she she's like, oh, there's a store. I'll be right back. And she basically does her whole, like, holding the store hostage while she steals shit and tries shit on. And that includes, like, part of the hostages was a pregnant lady who she basically scares into labor. Right. And it's just like, the way, how quickly that baby comes, I'm assuming it must have been, like, a second or third child. Because, like, like, I've learned not, like, you know, I'm not a birthing expert by any means. By God, no. Um, But I've learned a decent amount about the birth process that, like, you know, you can't, like, scaring somebody into labor is not really a thing that happens. Like, if anything, if her, if her water broke while she was at the store, she probably would have at least, like, if it was her first baby, she probably would at least have a little bit to, like, make it to the hospital. Or they would be, del- like, they would be in that, that store way longer than 20 minutes trying to deliver that baby. Yeah. It implies it wasn't that long they used to deliver the baby. And, like, yeah, Trip comes in in the middle of this. And she's like, and, you know, Nero's like, oh, my God, ew, this woman's in peril. And Trip's like, she's having a baby and basically forces Nadira to give birth to a child. Yeah. And it's just like, he's like, get in there. And it's like, there's like 500 other women in this store. Like, I'm sure one of them would probably be in a better position to help deliver this baby than Nadira. One of them could have actually been at least like a paramedic. Yeah, like the I feel like the first question it, there is is there a doctor or a nurse here or and then you just move down the line is like can is anybody comfortable delivering a baby and at least you'd have somebody who's like I've helped deliver her cows it's almost the same thing. Yeah, pretty much. But no, Nadira who just pats the woman on the head. Also the woman's in a at least they have her like sitting upright cuz you're not actually supposed to be laying down I think on your labor. Right. But, you know, she delivers what is essentially like a three-month-old baby, unless you're talking about a monster bit, like a big baby. Yeah. Because uh, they do happen. Big babies do happen. Right. Like, around the time I gave birth to my kid, he was about eight pounds, I think, seven to eight pounds. Yeah. But there was like a, a kid that was born around the same time as him that was 10 pounds. Oh, that's too much baby. Too much baby. Um. <laughs> but I-, I will say at least they like... You know, it definitely did not look like a new baby, definitely like a baby that they casted, but they at least put, like, grime on the baby to make it look like, yeah, that came out of somebody. Yeah, they tried, but it was still just a very large baby, but, like, Nadira has to, is forced into delivering this baby, and that makes her change her mind on humans and what they're like, and it's just like... And then, and then they cut to, like, later, like, they go through stuff, and then they cut to a scene later where she's just kind of, de- like, down and really thinking about that baby delivery. And it shows her playing with kids and, like, the kid accepting her and all that. And she's like, you would want to play with me? And it's like, yeah, it's like, you could have made that the scene. Yeah, maybe have her have a different, like, I feel like having her there for the birth would, like, still, like, you could still have her do that. And maybe that changes her mind, but, like, not have her deliver the baby. Yeah. Especially because like, Trip just sort of forces it on her. I'm like, aren't you from the future? Like, do they not train you in Time Force for potentially, like, oh, wait, no, they wouldn't. Because genetic babies. Yeah, genetic babies. They just come from a, a thing. But maybe, like, well, oh, maybe I on Siberia. Like, I don't know. Yeah, Siberi- Siberians might still give life birth. Yeah. So, you know. 
Um, but yeah, um, the kind of things we, we want to talk about very quickly is one of the scenes she is watching, I think, the first episode of Masked Rider. Yeah, because so Saban, this was especially guilty in Masked Rider itself. So Saban would just put in shows that they already had um, license over uh, to have the characters you watch on TV. This is a thing that happens in Saban shows a lot. So we lost our minds, though, when she's like watching TV and like Rancic's base and it's Masked Rider on. Because one, um, because Mass Raider is supposed to take place in the same universe as Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And up until this point in the series, they have basically implied that everything is kind of a long-going continuation from Mighty Morphin. So it's like, wait, so this is the same universe? What's going on? <laughs> Did they retcon that whole thing out because of just how Mass Rider didn't deliver? <laughs> Possibly, but also, second of all, it's fucking insane because, like, watching this on Netflix and there's that little clip of her watching, that little clip of Mass Rider that she's watching... While she, like, that on TV is the most high-quality clip of Masked Rider you can currently find in the United States. Because we talked about this in our Masked Rider episode, is that we had to get these terrible VHS rips from the 90s. Yeah. And it's like, that, my god. It was just like, wow. Uh, and then the other thing is, uh, just, like, we talked about, just, like, the high femininity of her. Yeah, so- Like, we loved her- outfits and stuff yeah she is high femme high camp like that is that is like the the tour that is the du jour of all power rangers villains at least women power ranger villains um but yeah she's constantly just like her expensive taste she loves fashion she's always turning looks um and i have to admit her wig this season was not as bad as it could have been yeah the I think that's something we'll get into later mm -hmm. as the wig technology is better, but it's like the only thing that really kind of clocked it for being awake was the weird bangs. Yeah. But like I said, I kind of explained that as more like Nadira probably cut them. Which would make sense is her cutting her own bangs and not having much an idea of what she's doing. Yeah. Uh, moving on to kind of the last like uh, villain of the season is Frax. And throughout kind of the beginning, he definitely has this weird... He helps Rancic, but he just has this like weird tension with him. Like one of the one of the episodes that really kind of starts planting that is when he goes to the X Vault, which is where all the very dangerous mutants are kept. Like I don't know Ted Bun Bundy mutants, right? And he takes one of them out and causes havoc. And Rancic kind of more or less wrote it off as like, oh, he's just trying to curry my favor, or right? Something. But, you know, it's just kind of this weird thing about Frax. It's like, I don't really like you. And then later we found out he is uh, Dr. Ferrix, the, the guy that essentially Rancic blew the fuck up. Yeah. So, you know, and we found out Dr. Ferrix wasn't really killed, but he's somehow, like, he was close to death and just roboticized himself. Yeah, it's like, did he up, like, he uploaded his consciousness into a robot, question mark? They don't really explain it that hard. Um, like, you just see him put, like, robot parts on himself. Yeah. So he's either, uh, a, like, human, like, like, he's basically, like, a human in a robot suit, or, like, its consciousness is uploaded into a robot, or, like, he's a cyborg. Or, I, I don't, I, like, it's, it's really hard to tell whether they wanted to go kind of with a general Grievous thing, or, like, 
he's a consciousness and a robot you know yeah well again it's power rangers like even in the good seasons they don't really explain that much it's like that's there yeah um so he also like through that was also revealed to be the inventor of the silobots um of the 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 kind of mooks of the series right and he reveals all this to rancic who's just kind of like whatever on it uh when he finally double like he gets to that point and he double crosses rancic and because rancic like i think tells the story of the venomax mutant and all that right because he realizes venomax got loose and goes to like Frax about it and Frax is like destroys all the serum at the end of that episode and everything and the space is like yeah fuck you because of what you did to me yeah he was really playing the long game there honestly <laughs> yeah and um and there's kind of this whole like bit of Rancic trying to capture him and then when Nadira starts to have kind of her like crisis I guess of I don't want to say crisis of faith but uh, you know, crisis of who she is, existential. Yeah. Uh, she she goes to Frax as Frax is imprisoned after being recaught, and he just yells shit at her, calls her awful, like you're no different than your father and everything. And she just takes it really to heart until like when he's basically taken to you know, basically do what they're gonna plan to do with him. She tells him flat out like. I want to know what it's like, because like, one of the things she said is like, I want to know what it's like to be human, and, you know, he dismisses her. And she apologizes for what Rancic did to her, uh, did to him. Mm-hmm. And then, like, it just shows, like, what he, like, Dr. Ferrickson, kind of that weird chamber of, there's hope for them yet, and then they take him off. And they, they basically just turn him into a complete cyborg. Yeah. And in the very serious moment where he's just like, I am a complete robot known as Frax as she woke him up and she's, you know, terrified that he basically, Rancic just destroyed all the humanity and and Frax. I go, I am Bender, please insert Girder. Yeah, I, as you could tell, we made a ton of Futurama jokes while referencing, while watching this because it's just, yeah, it's, you know, year 3000 and. It's very obvious the future is going to be very different, but. <laughs> but yeah, he, that is basically a I am Bender, please insert Girder moment. Sure. Um, yeah, but his, and- yeah, that death was kind of horrifying in the objective sense of it, because it's just like he basically gets all he's already like. Barely hanging on because he's basically been the walking dead since, you know, Rancic turned on him. Um, and now he's just basically been stripped of any humanity that he had left. And, yeah, like, the the death itself, like, they cut back and forth of, like, what happened in the Sentai to basically the reaction shots of Rancic and Dira. Mm-hmm. And, like, you see, like, Frex uh, has this, like, weird emotion bit where he just kind of like his eyes bulge and stuff so it does that but it also like has this weird melting and blowing up while Rancic's yelling at him he's a stupid robot and useless and Deer is like horrified and it's like wow this is kind of horrifying and deep for Power Rangers yeah it's like what Power Rangers season is is this and what happened um yeah yeah it's just sort of unexpected um, but 
Yeah, like Frax dies horribly, and then Nadira and uh, Rancic to have a change of heart. Because this is Power Rangers, we can't let the the monsters have anything nice. And uh, I think it helps because I think that's one of the things we maybe we'll talk about that later in our overview of the uh, of like this first decade of Power Rangers is the fact that I think it's because they were human oriented, like they didn't get deaths, right? Like, you know, the last one that really got, the last two humanoid, it, like, dead-on humanoid, that got, like, deaths in the series, one was, uh, Drakina, and she turned into, like, an insect monster in the end. Right. So, whatever. And then the other was Vipra, but she wasn't killed by the rangers, she was, like, vored by Banshira, who wanted more power. Right. I just wanted to save Ward by Vanjira. Well, that's basically what happened. <laughs> but yeah, the humanoid monsters in Power Rangers, at least to this point, never really die, except in those, like, rare cases. Uh, so, I guess, you know, that wraps up our character talk. And uh, our honorable mentions are Gluto, because Gluto was actually the main villain of Time Rangers, and he just got demoted to kind of this silly role that shows up every now and then. And, like, in the end, he freezes himself because he's like, fuck this. No, that's fair. Uh, and he's, his real thing is, like, he's after Nadira. And it comes actually from the Sentai where the two are actually, like, married. Okay. Because uh, he's actually, like, he's the Don. He is actually, like, a crime boss. That's why he's dressed as the way he is. But, you know, because he, like, farts from his tail to propel himself. They're like, this is way too stupid. We're using Rancid. Which is, uh, for Power Rangers saying something is way too stupid is, uh, <laughs> is kind of interesting. It, it's kind of like Rito, almost, because Rito was, like, one of the main villains of Kaku Ranger and was actually menacing, and they're like, nah, he's too stupid looking. So we're just gonna make him a total idiot. <laughs> um... Dr. Zanskin, who is kind of the scientist behind, like, a lot of the stuff, like, you first see him with... Um, like, the giant, oh, god, I always forget the name of the giant tank they had at the beginning. The giant what at the beginning? The giant tank zord thing that Biolab created. Oh, god, yeah, I always forget the name, too, because it comes up, like, once or twice, and then is never a major thing again. Yeah. But that's where he first actually shows up. He's part of that science division. Later, you see him again with his daughter, and he gets kidnapped, and his daughter tries to convince Lucas to help. And then um, he just kind of becomes, like, this background character that's fair and almost, like, a little bit of a science moral compass, but nothing too serious. And then Captain Logan, who is the Time Force, like, big honcho, and Phillips, who I, is the butler for the Collins family, and they, they just kind of give advice and leave. Yeah, they don't really spend a whole lot of time in the series, because the most especially you see of Captain Logan past those first two episodes... You'll see him briefly, like, talking with Jen, or, like, when he's, like, they're sending back the, when the Transwarp Megazord is sending back the, uh, the Zords, uh, to launch out of the roof of the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> um, that, that'll never not be funny to us. Um. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he, yeah, so just, they're, they're there, but they're not really, like, they're not really major reoccurring characters. I guess that brings us to kind of the last kind of little bits with our odds and ends. Yep. Uh, one of the things I wanted to kind of discuss, especially watching the series now. Yeah. Uh, particularly because we were kind of raised, uh, you know, white and all that. 
Does the racism metaphor still work? I, you know, I see what they're going for with it, but I don't think they really carry it across the finish line. Yeah. I I feel like that, too. One, it's like you made Rancic just a total asshole. You basically made almost all the mutants, like, just deranged Ted Bundy types and shit. There's, like, one, that one episode where you basically had, like, oh, no, I basically stole food to feed myself. Right. Like, you actually dealt with that sort of, like, how the justice system actually hurts people of, you know, uh, in this case, mutants in real life, it's people who aren't white. Right. Um, and um, it, it, like, it kind of comes from, like, not only that early 2000s of tackling those sort of issues, uh, particularly because this is, like, when this show was written, it was pre nihilism Right. So, you know, it, it kind of deals with that. And I, I'm, I, think, I think the writing room is mostly white and probably middle class and male. Right. So definitely, like, they know what they were trying to achieve, but then it's just kind of like you fumbled the ball. Yeah, and, like, I feel like there is an exploration there. And it, but it also is the same issue that, um, that X-Men itself comes across, is that, the mutant metaphor, as they call it, and the mutant metaphor in this case being a metaphor for the struggles of any oppressed class, um, doesn't always work. Um, especially because, like, for the mutant metaphor, it's usually the case of, like, you're usually... Um, because, like, if you go back to the origins of the mutant metaphor, is like... Because X-Men was, was created by two Jewish men. And mm-hmm. it's sort of, you could, and then, as then, you could see it as the metaphor for you have these, like, people, especially the first five X-Men, that, you know, they look like they could blend in in regular society. They're very white. They're white. They are, uh, if there is any sort of disability, it's invisible. Um, they appear straight. Um, and especially with the case of Iceman, who wouldn't come out until many, many years later. Um, is that, you know, they have, like, yes, they appear normal, but they have something about them that only a few people really understand. And so the mutant metaphor then is you you, you can interpret it as a met- metaphor for living as a Jewish person in America. Uh, but then as the time went on, they tried to expand the, like, the mutant metaphor for covering any sort of oppressed class, but they often wouldn't really rise to meet what that even means. Um, yeah. From my understanding of Grant Morrison's run on New X-Men, like, they did try to establish that, you know, give mutants their own culture that, like, both, like, people are scared of, but also want to try to, like, take from without really understanding what any of it means. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been, it's very rare that the mutant metaphor rises to meet the occasion of actually talking about making it a proper metaphor for talking about racism or oppression in the United States or anywhere. And um, so Time Force really comes across this problem because they want to have their own mutant metaphor of, you know, you have these like people that are oppressed in, um, in the future society because, you know, they, their genetic, their genetic enhancements didn't take. And like, you know, 
with a better writer, you could explore what that means. And bas- well, basically, you explore what that means with the movie, the fucking movie Gattaca. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, this is the plot is taken from Gattaca. Uh, I now oh realize. But, like, even then, like, the G- with Gattaca, you still have it being, like, focused on a white guy. Um, so. And kind of the same with, like, Brave New World, too. Yeah, so, like, you you have these writers that want to try to explore that, like, what happens in the future where you can have your genetically modified babies, and you can have your, I, I forget, they, there's a special word for it, like, designer babies, that's it. And you can have mm. this, and, you know, you're, you know, you're free of, like, disease and hunger and all of that, but there's still people that are going to be left to the, si- the, the sides of society. Um, you know, you have writers that have explored this, but they don't really take it all the way because they are still focusing on it from a very white point of view. So, like, yeah. what does that metaphor mean in the future when, like, okay, how, like, what, what does oppression for those with visible mutations really mean? Yeah. And, like, maybe yeah. you look at it from a disability, like, rights point of view or, um, or racism or, um xenophobia but like it's just so far it's just not really gotten to a place to it, it gives any meaningful discussion especially in this season where all of the most of the mutants you see are just horrible terrifying criminals yeah i think like only two were not horrifying criminals and it was just one who was like basically an like a guy that liked a drag race and also just I guess didn't feel any remorse for possibly killing children right. until he was like brought to the fact like oh no I actually did something terrible and the one that was kind of Jean Valjean of like I just stole a loaf of bread it's like because nobody will feed me so I had to steal food to feed myself and it's just like that's actually fucking tragic um, yeah but they never really want to. Get it, like they'll they'll have those moments where they touch on those, but then never want to get do- deeper into it. And yeah, so it's just like there's stuff there 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 was potential there, but they just never really saw fit to really take it further. Um, yeah, and also I feel like because you know this was like pre nine eleven um, and everything, because there's a different feel on. Um, I don't mean to bring this up, but like capitalism, mm-hmm. there's a different feel on how capitalism and how we view capital is pre and post. And um, it kind of goes into like, well, if you have everything you need, why is every like food still treated as a commodity and he couldn't get food? Yeah. And, you know, I guess that just comes down to further with, oh, well, because mutants. But they, you know, they don't really explore what that really means to be a mutant besides just being a, you know, a genetic uh, reject. I almost said genetic freak. We are not getting into Scott Steiner again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But... Yeah, no, I, I, I'm glad you, you brought up, like, X-Men and other, and we also, like, got into, like, other metaphors that dealt with, like, designer babies and stuff like that, or mutations. It's, like, it's kind of one of those, it feels like privileged white people trying to figure out something and then kind of not really go further into it right. than what they understand. 
And I, that might just be a, the, just kind of the flaw of Hero Time Force and not the flaw, like, because, like, as you kind of point out, almost no one gets that mutant metaphor, yeah. right? Um, I guess kind of moving on from that is that something that we did notice about the season is that there's a much tighter cast. Mm-hmm. Um, Like, there's not a whole lot in terms of, like, you know, they don't add on all these extra supporting characters that, like, will show up for an episode and then never show up again. Like, it's very focused on you know our characters of you know the rangers uh pe- like the, the select people from biolab like like when we go over our our, our honorable mentions there's like three major characters like three major minor characters that felt mentioned but other than that like yeah it was like they they definitely you know they focused on who they had and telling the story with that yeah. um i will say though at the there was like a brief minor character that showed up that was an elderly lady in the serum episode. And then I realized she was Ethel. She was the woman who plays Ethel Beavers on Parks and Recreation. (laughs) So that was a fun little moment. (laughs) You're like, is that Ethel Beavers? Oh my God, it was. Yeah. (laughs) Eric's getting his butt kicked. Uh, Yeah. Uh, one of the things is that I, this is kind of the same uh, with with the Sentai it comes from. It's it's a series that deals with time travel, but it kind of doesn't happen a lot. Yeah, because like the two major instances of time travel that happen in the show is you have the episode with the Quantum Ranger and the Q-Rex. Um, and so they have to end up going back to the time of the dinosaurs to retrieve the Q-Rex. But it's only like, Wes and Eric. Yeah. And then there's the episode where Katie has, like, I guess it's supposed to be a dream, sort of, but not really, where she goes back to the past and convinces, like, this one guy to stand up for himself and stop being a simp and actually ask this this woman that he likes out. Yeah. And she ch- stop simping. Yeah, so she changes the future. Um, but so this guy is no longer a lonely ghost living in the clock tower and actually marries, marries this woman, writes beautiful poetry and lives happily ever after. And, uh, it's really, it's a funny moment, at least when Katie, one, goes back to the, goes back to the past as a black woman in these, like, very modern clothes and nobody says anything. (laughs) She just goes about her business. Uh, because they're more interested in, like, pushing, like, you know, making fun of the one nerdy, like, poet. <laughs> Look at this. Sim. Yeah. And then, um, then the, but yeah, it's really funny when she goes back and it's just like, yeah, but you told me that he was, like, lived, like, he was a ghost and that he died alone. And, like, Wes is like, when did I say that? <laughs> and then it's, that's when you realize it wasn't a dream. <laughs> Katie changed the future. Through ghost power, through ghost and dream power, <laughs> they don't really explain what the fuck happened there, but it happened. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of funny because, like, I think it was pointed out on like TV tropes or something about like how the the first the openings of of uh, Time Force, uh, how kind of going through landscapes and eventually when they get to the movie Madness episode. They take kind of the, the like, spots from movie Madness that feel like time travel, and you actually watch the show, and it's like, time travel kind of happens. But not really. I mean, the most it, 
but not really like the most that happens comes from like the the bot just the zord just throwing people back in time with his giant fist yeah, his, his, his hammer smacks yeah um so i guess kind of moving on from that is we talked about a little when we talked about eric and wes but like um yeah, uh, we kind of came across with the headcanon, Jules especially, that, uh, they are definitely either bisexual or pansexual. Um, I'm not gonna go really into why Eric's bisexual, but, like, you know, what, like, it used to be kind of in fandom that, you know, if you shipped Wes and Eric, you kind of didn't acknowledge, like, them being attracted to women. Right. So, kind of, hint, Eric is going to have kind of a romance coming up. Um. But, uh, you know, it's like it kind of negates them being attracted to women and they're like, oh, they're all gay and all that. And I'm like, that's kind of like looking back, I'm like, that's kind of biphobic bitches. Yeah. And it's like, especially because like, no, um, Wes is very clearly attracted to Jen. Like that. Like that. Yeah. That's the love story of the series. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Like as much as, you know, people would want it to be Wes and Eric. And that would be very interesting if they were just like, no, they were exes in college. But they never go that route. Yeah. <laughs> so and that, it's just kind of weirdly hinted, and then also, uh, I'll get to this in a bit. But yeah, it's like it's really hinted with the like, like I said, it's because of just kind of the like chemistry that came off from the two's performances mm-hmm. that it just kind of like they come off as exes, and then because of that, like you know, I feel like you know Eric's by he's you know definitely more masculine into masculine and man and men and all that that we we just kept like i just kept making up like gay bar references and shit with them <laughs> it especially came to a head and we'll we'll skip our we'll come back to our point that we we're gonna hit next but yeah it definitely comes to a head in the light speed rescue team up um uh just because like there one there is a team up episode with the light speed rescue team and, but you were very insistent that he must have picked up Ryan at the gay bar, and when you say he, we mean Eric? Yeah, well, I just made the joke, really, like, oh, he picked him up at the gay bar and you laughed at it, so. Yeah, because just, because they kind of just show up out of nowhere. <laughs> they, sh- they show up out of nowhere. And, uh, but yeah, no, and then, like, Wes, because of that energy, it's like, they definitely come off as, like, men love men. I don't want to say the acronym because it's like, no, we're not talking about that shitty thing. Yeah. No no multi-level marketing schemes here. <laughs> yeah, no, we're talking about men love men. They definitely both kind of come off as men love men. It's it's definitely, I think, one of the very first strong subtexts, and I want to say it's completely accidental in the series. Yeah, as it is for most the uh, series, let's be real. Um, yeah, it's, it's- it's definitely kind of this like accidental subtext that you can pick up that like oh these two guys are mm, they're they're men love men they had yeah something. and like yeah so I I feel like yeah definitely like you could still ship Wes and Eric but like yeah don't take away the fact that like like Wes is still very much in love with Jen like that's a thing that is not a you know the, she's not there to get in the way of the ship. <laughs> It yeah. is very and central to the series. On a side note, I, I love the, like, Hirohiko Araki part one energy that they did with filming the prep school scenes. Because I'm guessing the prep school was probably, like, high school and they were, like, 15 or something. And because they're not, like, gonna go through all the weird shit and pay and everything to get 15-year-olds to play, 
like prep school kids and also because it's a kid show and if he did that like you know they think the kids would be confused right it's like that's not Wes and eric so uh basically you had like jason font dan southworth and they're most ripped trying to be convincing <laughs> convincing 15 year olds <laughs> And it's just like, this is like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure when you first meet Dio and Jonathan at the age 12 and they're both ripped as shit. Right. Like, I even pointed out, when when I pointed that out on my own personal Twitter, I'm like, oh my god, I forget, like, Dio saying a lie, but it was me, Dio. It it was him at 12 years old. Oh my god. Like, 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 definitely that weird, like, old shonen syndrome of we're totally 15. Like, no, you're not. Right. Um, okay, so speaking of Wes and Eric, but in a different sense, um, so they're the ones who get the battleizers this season. We barely touch on the battleizers, and I think it's because we are definitely more of a plot and character driven podcast. We don't really look into the aesthetics as much. But this one drove you crazy. Oh, God, yeah, I just, oh, okay. So, I don't know if they specifically call Eric's a battleizer, but it's basically a battleizer. And it's got the fucking rollerblades. (laughs) It's futuristic, it has rollerblades. Um, but, oh my God, Wes's is so, oh God, okay. So Wes's battleizer. Despite the fact that this is a season that has a futuristic time-traveling police force is based on based on medieval knights. <laughs> and like, first of all, that episode felt like it was setting up to be a trip-centric episode. Oh yeah, because of the pizza and everything. Yeah, and it's just like they kept talking about, oh, only the pure of heart may like unlock the unlock the power. And it's like, well, Trip is pure of heart. He is the purest of heart in the series. But we forgot about the pure heart himbo. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he is pure of heart, dumb of ass. Like, that's not... (laughs) Everybody knows this. But it was just like, why? Why? Like, you didn't... Because of, like... (sighs) Because of, like, in previous seasons, you had in, like, in space, it was kind of tied to, I think, Andrus's powers. Lost Galaxy already had this, like, trying to browbeat a sword and sorcery thing with it so you know you 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 know what while leo let's be fair carone got those powers Mm -hmm. and stuff and like him getting you know them going through this weird like D &D fantasy trial for it okay that works this last galaxy it's fucking weird uh lightspeed rescue i think miss fairweather was the one who made the battleizer and then you get here and it's like, yeah, we're like a futuristic sci-fi, but have this night thing. Sure. Okay. Sure. I've accepted this because there's no other way around it. I mean, we already had Katie time traveling through like the power of dreams and ghosts. So why not? Weirdly enough, because of the ghost thing, I know it's off track, but I find it very interesting that like, Wes essentially, they're not technically squatting because Wes's family owns that building. And Wes was like, hey, let's do the clock tower because it kind of fits the aesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on kind of to that is the wit tele- technology in this series is better than before. Yeah, because like, okay, so like the season with Astronema um, in space. I don't know why I blanked on that name. Uh, yeah, in space is just that you can very clearly tell that those are really bad party city wigs. 
that they probably got out of storage. Yeah. And like, I feel like they go through them so quickly because the wigs just turn ratty, like as, as if they're looked at badly. But yeah, this season, like, even though like you'd still tell that they're very obviously wigs, they're actually a little bit better. Like Trip's wig especially is very good. Like it's clockable if you know how to look at wigs, but like just to, to just a random watch, you're gonna be like, oh, that's probably his hair. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know if that's a case of like they sp- they were able to spend a little bit more on their wig budget, or if they knew better how to treat the wigs so that they didn't look so fake. Because one of the things we couldn't clock is whether or not Jason Font was wearing a wig as Alex. Yeah, because like as Alex, he has like dark slick back hair. Uh, whereas Wes, it's like a little bit more, it's a little bit more, not, his, his hair's not that super long, but, you know, he doesn't really put any product in his hair, especially unlike Lucas, who is just, his hair is spikier than a 90s boy band. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, like he, he got, if there's product, it's just kind of to make it look a little floofy, and he kind of has like the, what was popular in the 2000s, which was kind of those like bleached ends. Oh, yeah. But they looked nice, you know, it looks like they didn't just slap them on there, it looks like he actually got them, like, well done, and it blends well with his scalp, like, his natural hair. But kind of on our our final bits here is, we definitely want to talk about the Lightspeed Rescue team up. Yeah, so, like last season, with Lightspeed Rescue teaming up with the Lost Galaxy Rangers, uh, these, this season does have a thankfully one episode team up. I don't know how you could have extended that plot out more than one episode. Um, yeah. but there is a team up with the, uh, with the Lightspeed Rescue Rangers, um, which I kind of really love that episode because of one, they, one and done, we're not carrying this plot out longer than we need to. I, I would say the one thing about it that doesn't really make sense is how, how, one, how did Vipra come back when she was bored? She came back from the grave, too. Yeah, and it's like, like so why is she buried in Silver Hills and not... The portal to hell. Yeah, like, not the portal to hell, which is, I guess, currently under, um... Oh, God, what was the name of... Mariner Bay. Mariner Bay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just, like, so unless, like, maybe, like, some sort of, like, I guess if she's in hell, like, her soul's in hell, maybe she just climbed back through a random grave? I don't know how that works. Let's not think too hard no. about it. It's also Vipra. Yeah, it's also Vipra, which, again, her acting has not gotten better. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it really hasn't. Like, at first second, I thought maybe it got better. And it's like, well, she's already, like, pretending to be a revenant anyway, so maybe the flat acting works. And it's like, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm putting too much hope into this. Um, so yeah so viper so the it revolves around viper comes back from the dead to get basically resurrected demon that would basically take over the world because the the sun and the stars are in perfect align it's you know it's it's just it's bullshit it's it's demon like demon summoning bullshit yeah Um, and i guess carter gets word of this and heads over to silver hills and and also like she goes th- like Viper also eventually goes to Ransick and Ransick's like whatever until Viper's like it kills all humans and he's like I'm <laughs> yeah his, his entire vibe is hey sexy mama want to kill all humans yeah that's pretty it's pretty much it but yeah Carter ends up like showing up right as the, I think the Rangers actually show up to like stop Viper no it's the Silver Guardians and stuff yeah. and then Carter kind of sh- like the Rangers show up a little bit and then Carter kind of introduces himself. 
talks about what's going on and then they kind of have the call to action with the other rangers and it kind of shows that they have they're they're they all have cell phones and it's it's i love that they kind of like this was the time when personal cell phones were becoming more of a thing right so we were seeing all the different types of personal cell phones everyone had um particularly i love that like kelsey had like because she's you know obviously extreme sports lady um she had the like nokia that just won't die yeah she had the like that absolute brick of a nokia that like you throw it at the ground the ground's gonna break yeah like okay that makes sense and like chad had a flip phone and all but it's like you you got to see it's a year later from lightspeed rescue because that's how power rangers time works is basically you uh often deal with a year in between events right. like this happened this year etc unless they're dealing with like a future season right. or something and so it's a year later and we see that Dana has become a doctor because I guess things work differently in the future in, in Power Rangers. Yeah, so like she's now Dr. Dana. Um Yeah, it looks like a pediatrician or a general practitioner that works with families. Yeah, because you see her treating a girl who's broken her arm. And mm-hmm. then um see Joel has gotten married to Miss Fairweather. Weather. And Miss Fairweather, like, they, they're they about to go on a cruise, and Joel's trying to be like, hey, this is my honeymoon, and Miss Fairweather uh, basically takes the phone and is like, what's the mission? You know, yeah. And just, we, we can wait on our honeymoon. And Joel's like, oh. Oh, I wanted a score. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and, then, and then Kelsey's still, you know, barlobating and stuff, but, you know, as we found out from last season, she's kind of like West, West Rich, yeah. so... She can do whatever she wants. Yeah, I love that basically then, she doesn't need to explain to her. She's just like, Carter, so good to hear from you. What? I'm on my way. On my way, rollerblade. And then, like, Chad is a lifeguard now. Like, it actually makes sense what he does. <laughs> I'm guessing it's so he can be with his mermaid girlfriend. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, yeah, still in my head. He's with the mermaid still. Yeah. Um, the mermaid girlfriend. Yeah, so I, I, I did love that they did have that call to action where, like, Carter's got to get the get the band back together, as it were, instead mm-hmm. of just automatically being like, oh, here are all the Lightspeed Rescue Rangers um, that just show up out of nowhere. Like, it, there is an actual, like, hey, this is a serious thing. We need help. Yeah, and they come back. I kind of find it funny, and it always tricks me when I watch this, is I feel like the, the mooks that they have are supposed to be the rangers in the skies because they're all color-coded. Right. And no matter how many times I've watched this fucking episode, it's like six times now. Right. I'm like, oh, the rangers are going to like reveal that it's them and, and like join the other side. And like, no, it's always the Lightspeed Rescue Rangers shoot the moves yeah. and show up. And then like, I guess uh, Ryan got that call at the gay bar and like, so did Eric. And either they were cruising for each other or talking or something. There's tons of things you can do at a gay bar, particularly if it's a very chill one. Right. Like, you can just sit around and just chill and talk to other people and stuff. So, you know, they... Let's, I like the idea that, no, they were rustling. <laughs> so let's go with that, too. <laughs> but, you know, here they are about to go at it, and they, they suddenly go get the ranger call, and they just have a quickie in the back before showing up late. Yeah, because it's just like, there's no reason... Because it's like, they don't like nobody calls Ryan. Like Carter's doesn't get on the horn and goes, 
hey, Ryan, need you to show up here. And Ryan doesn't have that moment where you see what he's doing. Um, <laughs> and, and Eric just does his normal, just shows up. Yeah. And like, it's, uh, it's like, why is he there with Ryan? They don't really know each other. It's like they were just cruising at the game. <laughs> gay bar, gay bar, gay bar. Oh, gay bar. I think it's the, like the one I went to in Cincinnati and not the one we went to like briefly in uh, Atlanta when uh, your ex-roommate and friend took us out to eat. Oh, yeah, definitely not Mary's um yeah it, it's uh the one i went to in cincinnati it's i forgot what it was called it was like it it was a, actually a reference to being in the closet and stuff mm. but it was kind of like an act like a regular bar but they would play like instead you know instead of like the music player and everything like they actually like would play disney movies or just shit like that <laughs> and one of them was aladdin and that was funny because my friend and uh my friend her and i were just so blasted we just started singing along to the beginning of aladdin oh my god nice yeah no it was a very chill like that's the bar i think it's like it's a chill vibe bar like a lot of queers go there and everything there's not really a pickup culture or whatnot so they just were hitting it off at everything and about to go and all of a sudden it's like oh ranger dude oh we're both rangers well we're going the same place let's just go somewhere and (laughs) and then eric does is not there at the end when they because there's this really cute moment at the end of the episode where they swap jackets yeah, it's just like Ryan, you know, they swap jackets and Ryan's kind of left in the cold. <laughs> so because except for like Jin gets his jacket and but is also wearing Dana's jacket. So I guess. That yeah. Works. So it's just kind of funny. I, so I just maybe they're like, hey, so Ryan left this for you. And they just awkwardly hand him the Lightspeed Rescue Ranger jacket. <laughs> also, on side note, I'm guessing Carter and, and, and Ryan are just kind of like. Either they're not fully dating yet, or they're in an open relationship. Yeah, that's gotta be it. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh boy. Uh, oh, 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 also the other time I made, oh, this is the second time I've made the joke because uh, of, of Eric being like, do you want to know that I dick down your son? <laughs> Uh, Even though we know Eric's a power bottom. Oh, yeah. Loud, hoary power bottom. <laughs> okay. Uh, so moving on to kind of our last point. Because um, <laughs> there's no other way you can transition out of that. Um, <laughs> is movie madness. Yes. Insane. Absolutely insane two-parter. <laughs> that. And then I... I hyped to you, and I was so worried you wouldn't like it. Yeah, because you were just like, oh, God. Well, you kind of just sold it as it being a really bad episode, admittedly. I didn't mean to. I just kind of was trying to be like, it's weird, but it's so good. But I I have weird... I make weird afflictions in my voice by accident because I'm weird at socialization. So I can see where you must stuck and be like, oh, no as like me tri- like hating on it like no it's like one of my favorite two-part it's a pure filler episode but it's like a great two-part yeah so basically it's this insane sort of like there's a monster because there's a every not every season but there's like there's a non-zero amount of monsters on power rangers that are basically like mojo from uh from x-men of like there's just these monsters that can like that are basically like film directors and that they're trying to create like a movie and manipulate the power rangers into doing what they want 
And because this time was an actual director instead of just like, like, oh, look at me. I manipulate reality. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of they have this reality manipulation thing going where they're trying to like convince the Rangers to come on set of this one movie. It was like, <sighs> it was ba- okay. So it was basically the setup was like Wes and Trip are just watching action movies and like Jen's getting a little annoyed because she's trying to do paperwork right. and shit. Basically, uh, Lucas and Trip, Lu- uh, no, Katie and Lucas come in and they're like, holy crap, they're filming a movie. And Wes and Trip are like, hey, let's go check it out. And, and Jen's like, Ugh, no, let's let's finish our meeting. Let's do some meeting and do all this. And then it, and then they kind of all knew Jen's favorite actor, I guess, because she watches classic kung fu movies in the year 3000. Right. Uh, was like, I think they they made like Frankie Chan was the actor. Yeah, Frankie Chan. And she hears that and she's like, well, we gotta go. <laughs> it's really <laughs> adorable, it kinda, actually. <laughs> it's it's really adorable. They go on, they allow them to get on set for whatever reason. They're just like, okay, yeah, you're, you're chill to be on set. I'm like, that that's not how actually that works. But it is because they later set up Wes to do like stunts. Again, that doesn't know how it works, but Wes is like, yeah, I'll do stunts. And then they just try to kill Wes throughout the entire thing. And we're like, ow. And that's when it's later revealed that it's this total thing to get the Rangers captured by a director monster who just manipulates reality and throws every one of them into a favorite movie. Yeah, so like Like, Wes and Trip end up in a Western. Katie ends up in a musical. Lucas ends up in a samurai film. Uh, Jen ends up in a kung fu movie. And uh, Eric, when he does show up, because that's what Eric does, uh, ends up in like a Tarzan-esque film. It was kind of funny because he just shows up and he's like, go away. Like, first he's like, circuit, go away. I don't care. I don't want to save anybody. And then the monster shows up and he's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And then the monster just throws him to the Tarzan world and he almost gets eaten. It's kind of I funny. feel like it was just they wanted an excuse to put Eric Southworth in his little clothing. Not Eric Southworth. Dan <laughs> Southworth. <laughs> they wanted to throw Dan Southworth in as little clothing as possible. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Like, because you were like, oh yeah, he's a pretty good-looking guy, and they send you a picture of what he looks like about now, and you're like, holy shit, what a silver fox! Yeah, he is jacked. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> he's he's jacked. For, I think he's like in his like late forties. I think almost his fifties, and he's still that hungry. Yeah, my god. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, I feel like they just want they just picked that just to put him in as little clothing as possible, and um. But yeah, so they kind of have to, it's Wes and Trip that figure out how to get out of the dimension. It's through the clapper. And I also only think is they they hinted at the beginning where they would go because they talk about, like, I think on set, like the movies they want to be in. Lucas mentions like, oh yeah, like a samurai film. And then Katie's like, well, I want to be in a romantic musical. And we already like kind of infer Jen likes Kung Fu. Yeah. And this is actually one of the better filmed episodes of the season. Like, they actually put effort into, like, these little movie worlds that they're in to make them look, like, convincingly, like, like movies as possible. They also really love that Western set. Yeah. Like, we've seen that Western set so many times in Power Yeah, like, that is the exact same bar where, like, Astronomers, um, sorry, Carone got back the, um, got back the Quasar Saber. Uh, and it also shows up, like, it's the exact same bar Andres is in when he's, like, trying to get information. 
Uh, it's also like I think it's also Ernie's juice. Salon. Yeah. So this they, like this particular set they love coming back to and having like a western episode or at least an episode that would make sense to be in a western every season. Which also one thing about the western set that I love. He pointed this out is that Nadira wants to be in a movie, so she comes and harasses like Wes and Trip on the western set, and she's wearing like this rhinestone this bright orange rhinestone jumpsuit that that you pointed out that if it was a little bit sluttier is something megan the stallion would wear yes like it's like this was like this was a little sluttier megan the stallion would wear this and then like kurt pointed out it's like this is definitely also a trixie mattel look trixie mattel would wear that casey musgraves would wear that um megan the stallion if you cut off the legs um yeah yeah it's like she got a twerk in it she got a twerk in it um but yeah and, and like they discover basically it's through the director's clapper it sends you back and so the first episode is basically them trapped in their scenarios and going back right. and even then like they're not in entirely danger well maybe lucas is because he's getting attack and so like so is jen but like katie isn't she's in her musical land yeah so which, like, and at most so, she's at risk of, like, maybe being, like, seduced to evil through, like, the guy who's, like, singing at her. But, like, she's fine. <laughs> and and they get out of it. And my favorite bit is they kind of are still in the motion of what they're doing. And so because Eric is swinging through the trees, he, like, is swinging and he sees a wall and he hits it. And it's a great moment. And then you don't see him for a bit in the episode, so they're like, did, did they, like, at least get Eric to the hospital? Is he just still slying there? Passed out? Yeah, because it, it goes into part two where they have kind of the, like, weird uh, cartoon chase around the set, along with uh, two things that strike us on the cartoon thing, or three things, rather. Uh, the first one is they have kind of scene where, like, they go to the costume department, and when they get out of there, they're all in, like, Close, like they're all not in full drag, but what people like, like basically in not their gender clothing. Yeah. Like I love that Jen's kind of like like Katie's dressed up to be like a seventies badass, and she has a goatee. She looks great, by the she way, does. like that. And Jen also looks great as kind of like uh, like a Charlie Chaplin type with a top hat. And then you have Wes, who kind of just looks like uh, a standard woman getting her groceries, and then. You have Lucas being the old lady, but Trip, Trip's the one that has, like, the entire slut vibe. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, and he was feeling Even himself wigs. in that dress. He was feeling himself in, like, his outfit and just winking. And I'm like, oh, my God, Trip's an inner slut. Yeah. <laughs> it was, like, the most unwholesome you see Trip the entire time. <laughs> like, like, and it's. It's not play. It's like yeah, it's played as a joke, but it's not played like as a hurtful joke. You know, I feel like yeah. it may feel differently to some people, and I will not like that's that can be acknowledged. But it's like it's almost not like a hurtful joke because it's like they're actually like into it uh, and everything. It's not like oh horrific, and they're and they're not making fun of each other or anything like that. They're just sort of like, huh, yeah. this is fun, and then they're like, oh god, we gotta run. <laughs> run you know it's it's basically like the costume department just threw stuff on them and it happened to look like yeah. that type of situation and then when they they go into like 
they they like become mass punk people and playing at one point and like it's the time force theme i realized right. i've watched this this series so many times i'm like oh that's the time force theme so and you know it's, it's these shenanigans like the, the studio gets flooded and all that but the big thing of why i think they did this because i think there's like a similar monster later in time ranger mm -hmm. is because they're like we have vernon wells we want to make a goddamn Mad Max reference. Yeah, so when at the very and like that towards after they've gone through this chase sequence, uh so <laughs> Rancic shows up and all of a sudden his hair is completely different. He's wearing like this red and black mohawk, and like all of the monsters are kind of riding in the back of these like go-karts um, <laughs> that look like they're from Mad Max. And they're this is just yeah, this is just fully an excuse for them to make a giant Mad Max reference while they had Vernon Wells as a member of the cast. Yeah, it's just like they wanted I, I think his character's name is Wes. Um let me I, I've never seen I'm looking at a, Yeah, I've never seen any of the Mad Max movies except for Fury Road, which everyone told me I didn't really need to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, you know, because Mad Max is basically like it always sets up its universe of like, yeah, you're in this like weird uh, like, desert area where people are fighting for resources. Right. It always sets it up. So, yeah, you don't need the other Mad Max movies. I, I gotta admit, young young Vernon Wells kind of looks like the singer from Ronstein in, in Mad Max 2. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of see that. Yeah, it's just kind of how the hair is presented in the face structure, but I'm just like, yeah, it's like they just wanted to make a fucking Mad Max reference for, I guess, the parents watching. So. Yeah, because it's like, listen, we know you guys have to put up through a lot. Let's just give you, like, a little bit of Mad Max. Yeah, it's a great little homage, I find, oh, yeah. to Mad Max in it. How it ends, because the, the, the monster, of course, has everything written down the script, is Trip took a page, uh, the last page of the script, it's found out the very end, took the last page of the script to get Frankie Chan's autograph. And it's fake Frankie Chan, too. <laughs> he's like, oh yeah, I took it to get Frankie Chan's autograph. I'm like, oh, well, we can defeat the monster. It's through this weird loophole. They're able to defeat the monster and save the it's day. like, sure, okay, that works. <laughs> and my, my favorite bit is kind of that callback to the fact that uh, Trip and Wes were like rode into like rode away with the with the with the uh, director clapper, and they're like sore from having to ride horses. <laughs> yeah, that was that was actually pretty hilarious because if you don't know how to ride a horse, that's not fun. <laughs> yeah, and you know maybe Wes has forgotten because like Wes maybe has done a little bit of polo, but. I, I doubt Trip has ever ridden a horse. Yeah, do horses even exist on Siberia? It's like, what is this majestic animal? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all we really have left for to talk about with uh, Time Force. So, um, and we we did mention the Transport Megazord and how we love him, so we don't have to worry about that. So, uh, I guess our final verdict, and um, yeah, we really loved it. We, we loved <laughs> it. This is a fan favorite for a reason, with only a little like bit of flaws and everything it actually feels like a tv show than just a kid's show trying to sell toys uh this is the first time i felt like power rangers could be something more than a dorky zany show while there's some things i would have changed this continues to be one of my favorites and one that i will always go back to i remember being kind of sad that we ended this and it's like you know you could always rewatch this when we're like through with like the tv's proper yeah. so 
But yeah, so Time Force is definitely one of those seasons I'd heard good things about from others since we started this podcast. But I was genuinely surprised about just how good it is. I'm with Jules in that it felt like an actual TV show concerned about plot and characters versus a property just used to pump out half-assed lessons of the week and toys to kids. Uh, minus a couple of battleizer-shaped exceptions, obviously. I can see why this is one of the gold standards of what Power Rangers can be, and it's by and far my favorite season of the Saban era. All right, so that's it for this podcast. Uh, we'd like to thank Kate Nix for our theme. You can find her at Twitter at IamKateNix, and also KateNix.com, where you can find her band camp. Band camp. <laughs> uh, we love that ad. If you're listening, Kate, we love that ad. Uh, her merch and streaming. Um, uh, Lullaby Lo- she does Lullaby Lounge Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. By the time of this episode's release, she'll be, in, uh, she'll be doing her recovery, so it'll be on rerun. Yeah. But um, yeah, you can find that at katenext.live. Yeah, and I believe she should be back towards the beginning of December, but if you follow her, she'll be posting about when uh, uh, fourth, uh, fourth of Nature starts. Yeah. Uh, we also like to thank Joe Hunter for our art. Um, his Threadless is joehunter.threadless. He actually has some new shirts out, including a really cute kind of uh, thing from the comic he's doing with Lance Pitts, uh, Beastart Strikers. It's like a corgi t-shirt. It's like taco corgi. Aww. Really cute some really cute stuff. Uh, and you can also find him on Instagram at Joe Bloody Hunter and Twitter at Joe underscore Hunter. And that's also his Patreon. Um, like I said, he does a um, comic with Lance Pitts. There's working, I think, on issue three. So you can pick up Beastart Strikers at Comixology. Uh, Kurt Yoder for editing. Um, you can look at our Etsy right now at um, The Great SG Creations. We'll link into the show notes and everything. Um, we're currently uh, unemployed. We're still trying to look for work. So if you could help us out by buying some uh, lots of amounts of Pokemon that he made to sell at conventions and like perler art wise, and then all of a sudden it was shut down, uh, that would help us out. Our wrestler of the podcast is Kushida because, you know, the time splitters. Woo! Yeah, he's he's a good time traveling like wrestle boy. And he was literally the only time traveling wrestler we could think of. Um, so he's yeah. with WWE now. I don't think he has any shirts available, but, you know, go watch some old Kushida matches. Go watch some time splitter matches with him and Alex Shelley because those fucking rule. Um, yeah. <laughs> or go watch him like beat up Velveteen Dream. That's awesome, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Miss Kitty F. Um, you can also find my Gumroad, which is um, gumroad.com slash Ashley Leckwold. I'm also on itch.io or itch.io. I don't, I've never figured out how to pronounce that. Uh, I think that's ashleywistbang.itch.io. Um, you know, and you can also find my mask, which is uh, Ashley dash site. I really need a better central place to put this. Um, but yeah, you can go and find my my wares there, which includes various um, masks and zines and fun stuff. And I'll be working on some fun stuff to celebrate the 10th anniversary of The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys um, pretty soon, because that is my favorite uh, My Chemical Romance album, so you're gonna sit through me celebrating it. <laughs> Sweet, because that's also my favorite. Yeah. 
You can find me on Instagram at jjackets, as well as my Instagram for my cats, which is witchcraft in cats. That's an N with an N. Uh, Twitter, I am sins two, as in the numeral like numeral two hell. And uh, again, I have an Etsy with Kurt where we sell perlers, but I also am selling some soap experiments. They are actually really good soaps. They're just a like a little bit on like. A little off on what I wanted, but they, they're good soaps. They work and everything, just like the smell doesn't carry or something like that. There's a little thing off. So you can kind of buy that right now. I have a thread on Twitter that you can contact me on to get some soap. Next month, we are ending the year by ending the Saban era. Woo! That's right. <laughs> That's right. Strap in as we access a wild ride with wild force. Stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, remember that Black Lives Matter, please vote if you haven't, and may the power protect you. Go. Go. Go.